0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Um, tonight, we're going to do a plot drift. Um, Tony Dinozo leaves NCIS after the events of Boxed In. Um, this is one of the... When we were um, a couple... How long ago was it? Jillian? Um, we never do that art. Hold on. Let's see. So, like, in June, we... Um, We're thinking about episode tags for uh, um, NCIS that aren't as heavily explored as Dead Air. And uh, we picked out a couple. We did, like, we boxed in, of course, which is what we're currently doing. We have a tag for Requiem. Um, And what was our other one? We have a... Well, we did. The other was the Big Easy, Tony and the Big Easy, and we have one for Tony gets a new career. Mm-hmm. And we already did the one. Um, I don't, we did a two-parter with the little. No, we did one for we, we. We have one for Tony gets his own team. But I thought we had another block. Um, that we had another episode tag that we'd already done. Well, we did air, Dead Air a while back. A long while A back. while back. I mean, like, we're talking about t- ones that we haven't done a lot of. and Yeah, I don't... Uh, I think that was it for the epi- episode tags. Because we did that one that was a two-parter. But it wasn't an episode tag. Oh, Tony Dream's a little bigger. Yeah. That one with the cute unicorn. On. That was my favorite unicorn picture out of all the ones I found. <laughs> But um so Boxed In. Um basically the events of Boxed In um I mean, what for me what stands out as far as like egregious parts of Boxed In is that Tony and Ziva end up in a crate. She disobeys orders, um tries to shoot out the lock, injures him, lies about it, um and it gets dismissed. I mean it's it's never brought up again. And it's just like, in a a lot of ways, it kind of mirrors um, dead air. That this really stupid thing happened in the middle of dead air, and they never addressed it. There were never any consequences. And it's just, it's galling. And also, how could she open fire and not get a single hit? Isn't she supposed to be like an assassin for Mossad? I know all the bullets and the bodies were from, were from Tony, you know, right after the episode aired, uh, this was literally like the episode aired. and, And it was like one of the first things anybody wrote was a tag for boxed in where, um, this was on one of the archives. It doesn't exist anymore. I couldn't tell you who wrote it. I couldn't tell you what the story was called, but Gibbs and Tony were on to Ziva being, um, basically a a plant i think for hamas or something and they were writing it out to get evidence and so that whole that whole exercise um tony and and gibbs sort of got together at the end of it and went down the, the checklist of all the things that she had screwed up over the course of that um episode and how it all pointed to her complicit uh how shepherd was complicit in the whole thing and it was just tearing apart everything that had had gone wrong um and i remember the author's note was something along the lines i think i caught all of the issues with this episode <laughs> that was how they prefaced it i think i, think I, caught, I caught all the issues with this episode and it was just ripping everything that they had done wrong with that and used it as evidence that ziva was a a spy. Someone a- said that maybe she was just good at hand-to-hand. Okay, but that doesn't actually make sense if she's literally a part of Mossad. Mossad or elite. You don't get to be in Mossad if you can't fire your fucking weapon. Also, wasn't she supposed to be former military? Aren't they all required to have a year of military yeah, service? Yeah, there's compulsory military service. So, how the hell did she get from a year of compulsory military service go through basic training, and not be able to fire a fucking 9 millimeter. I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure if I could hit a moving target, but some of those dudes weren't moving. I'm a better shot than Ziva. Well, the thing is, it, it, she's clearly not a bad shot, though, because she managed to hit that guy in the foot at the end through a tiny crack in the... So she took what was a- that? Right, so she took aim, he's standing there, and the door is cracked open a couple of inches, the rear door of the container, and she manages to nail him in the foot. That's a precision shot. So, So either she got lucky, or she missed on purpose. And why would she miss on purpose? Well, one theory could be that, I mean, that she knew who they were the the operatives on the dock right to what end i don't know but i mean you know Ari was in hamas and she would have had potentially had cause to interact with people in various terrorist organizations at least in an undercover capacity so i don't know I mean, I don't know why she would have deliberately missed, but I'm just saying that if she recognized, them, that could have been reason for her not to try to kill them. How many did Tony kill? I think two, maybe three. I think, well, two, I think two. I mean, because it is brought up explicitly, Tangerine's right. Why would the writers bother to be so specific about her missing her shots? Where was that going? Well, we do think, remember our theory was that uh, they were setting Ziva up to be a a spy Mm -hmm. and they were going to be getting rid of her and that the audiences liked her or something or she read well with audiences and so they decided to, I mean nothing about how Ziva came into the show and nothing about her early performance makes you think, the early plot lines involving her make you think she was going to stay. And the fact that they continue do on some of their, you know, crappy planning, um, like the whole thing about her. It's like, why would you follow through on that? It. I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly, it's just terrible writing. Um. But why would she blame Tony for Aerie? Tony had Aerie was fixated on Gibbs. Tony didn't personally catch Aerie. Um. I mean, yes, fandom rights. Ziva's being irrationally angry at, but that's particularly irrationally angry. Tell I mean, me if anybody could be blamed for Aries' downfall, it would be Kate.
1: Yeah, he was I mean. obsessed Kate- with
0: her. He was. and Kate was in the it uh, was an autopsy with Aerie. and Kate's the one who Airy targeted and chose to kill, bringing down Gibbs' wrath upon his head. Um, Gibbs was the one who was treating Ari like his white whale. So it I mean it, it could be, you know, I don't know some kind of transference or something. it just doesn't I just doesn't make a lot of sense that she would be blaming Tony for Airy being dead. Yeah, I agree. Definitely, she blames Tony for Michael dying, um, and I do. I, I do see fandom being like having Ziva blame Tony for, like for everything that goes wrong. It just some. It does strike me many times in stories like I'm reading it, going, "Well, that seems really irrational. Why is she blaming him?" Um, but that seems particularly. Well, I mean, yeah, Kate is dead, so she's trying to blame somebody else. But why not McGee or Abby or Gibbs? It it, it just Gibbs is the obvious. I guess. I mean, it's thin. I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to work with that because it's actually so thin. Um, I mean, I don't ever want to use a a plot device that requires more work for me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> than it would to, to find <laughs> something else. I mean, there's a there, there's a fine line between trying to lampshade a single point and trying to lampshade the whole planet. It's like, okay, how much work do I need to do to make this reasonable? You know, instead of so coming up with an idea that's just genuinely reasonable at the start, right? I mean, you could say that Ziva had a psychotic break due to the fact that she killed her own brother that she executed her own brother yeah and if i if you want to go with the psychotic break angle which you could i think that you have to um look at what would be the most likely target of her falling apart and i just don't think it would be tony no i mean if she had that psychotic break i mean she would associate that trauma with gibbs or her yeah. father and, she would and get on a plane, go back to Israel, and Papa um to and kill her own father. Well, if she was, but if she was focused on her father, the transference would then go to Gibbs. Yeah, it wouldn't go to Tony. So, um, but if she had a psychotic break, I'm not sure she'd have been functional to actually pre- have any sort of pretense to be on that team. So it changes the entire dynamic of the show. In fact, really, honestly, Gibbs probably wouldn't have got out of that basement alive. Because he wasn't armed, was he? His gun was there, but his rifle, his sniper rifle was there. But he couldn't get to it in time to have done anything, which was why um, Ziva had to take the shot. Um, You gotta be a special sort to execute your own brother i don't think she could even see tony as a brother substitute because she disdained tony from the beginning and if she saw him as a brother substitute she wouldn't have disdained him to the level that she did because i think she revered. she disdained him because he was too close to gibbs he was too close to gibbs and that relationship interfered with the relationship she wanted to have with gibbs Ever, how you want to look at it, whether you want to see that Gibbs saw Tony as um, a son or as, um, because at that time their relationship was pretty solid. Um, it was after Ziva that things started to fall apart for the whole team. Um, the best reason I think for Ziva to want to get rid of Tony that requires the least amount of like epic lampshading, um, and it's not a very difficult dot to connect is that tony objected to her being on the team and continued to object because boxed in is fairly close to the beginning of season three i want to say it's like in the first 10 episodes let me double check that it's episode 12 um and i think she comes in as a full-time cast member like in episode four So she's been with the team a couple of months or something like that, maybe a little longer. Um, So if Tony was continuing to have issue with her being on the team, if he was like, you know, refusing to let her handle evidence or let her check in evidence and not letting her, you know, drive NCIS vehicles and basically giving everybody a headache about her being on the team, she might see him as an obstacle that she needs to get out of. And her perceiving Tony as an obstacle, I, I, And wanting to get rid of him for that reason, I don't have an issue with. But I think any kind of transference about her family issues, as it pertains to Tony, I think he's the least likely target. To me, it's like she came into the team. She saw these three men, and she divided her skills amongst them. She attached paternal affection to Gibbs, and he ate it up with a spoon because he always does. She intimidated the hell out of Tim, and she tried to seduce Tony, and didn't work. He says, "I don't think she ever actually wanted to seduce him. I think she wanted to, kind of put it. Put, she wanted to tease. Yeah, she didn't. She wasn't actually prepared to sleep with him because I really do think she disdained him at the beginning, by, by a lot. I don't know that she ever stopped." Which makes that whole kid thing really difficult for me to swallow. Yeah. She was definitely trying to use her body as a method of distracting and controlling Tony. And it didn't work. Now whether she actually physically wanted him or not. I can't say. But I would say that given an opportunity. She definitely would have climbed on top of that as a method of controlling him. Whether she enjoyed it or not. I don't think she'd had a problem whatsoever fucking him. If it got her what she wanted. (laughs) Tangerine's denying the existence of canon. Don't we all? Right. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I don't think she had any emotional investment in Tony. I don't know if she ever did. Um, I think that there probably came a point where she absolutely hated his guts. um, And would still have tried to use sex to control him. Because... Mm -hmm. I think she's a sociopath. <laughs> was it Bobby or Patrick? It oh, was what Bobby or Patrick? She said it's like the year that Patrick Ewing was dead, and I was like, "Is it Bobby or Patrick?" And I thought I thought it was Bobby. Bobby <laughs> is Bobby, yeah. Oh, he's played by Patrick. He's played by Patrick Duffy, right? Yeah. There is a large portion of our audience that will never get that. <laughs> <laughs> that whole conversation just went over their head. <laughs> but um so, you know, let's 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 look at. Wow. I just I'm at the end of my notebook, y'all. I have to get a new notebook. Wow. It's okay though cuz I have a whole stack. I am prepared. Kroger had a sale on um on the Top Flight notebooks. So of course I bought me four or five. Um <laughs> what uh so what happens today? What do you mean what happens? Okay, so Tony gets shot by the ricocheted bullet, they come back to NCIS. Tony realizes that Gibbs isn't going to take it seriously and he's bought into this lie. And he, and it's just like he sped up and he's like, okay, fine, fuck it. And he resigns. So, what happens? Do we need to work on why he resigned? No, oh, I mean, he resigns. So, what happens next? Well, I think it would. Well, I, mean, I think this, you have to work out what all the motives are for all the different players. Because if Tony resigns because he's just so fed up with this shit, Gibbs won't listen to him, and the director is insisting that Ziva may on the team. Um, certainly Shepard would be very motivated to not have that looked into in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. She might even try to submarine Tony's career. I read an AU once and don't ask me to find it, y'all, where um she's so obsessed with Tony staying and running that op for her that he quits and she tries to kill him. Well, Angelic says she knows what that is. If he quits NCIS, she's not sending him anywhere. I mean, I know that like Gibbs probably believes that no one's allowed to quit NCIS without his permission. <laughs> I'm sure he actually believes that, but if Tony was on, they can't actually make him do anything unless they arrest him for something. So are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking. How would he report the DEA his suspicions? Oh, in that fic, there was something going on. Oh, oh okay. I was like, I'm very confused. What does the DEA have to do with anything? <laughs> Somebody will find the link for us. I mean, I think you have to work out like how you perceive Tony because I don't think he's the sort that's gonna. Tony knows how law enforcement works, right? Mm-hmm. So is he gonna, you know, leave and go run go to the FBI and say there's a problem over here? I mean, I think if he's gonna say there's a problem, he's gonna go to the the inspector general. And do it the proper way he's not going to throw a fit no he's not going to throw a fit the problem well i mean the inspector general he should go to is the inspector general of ncis who reports to the director if the director of course could exert significant influence to get that shut, that investigation shut down and in fact you could even write it that he already has gone to the inspector general and it could be that he heard right before this whole case that the inspector general had decided not to pursue it or that the inspector general said there was no foundation. Um, There's nothing in canon that says that he and Harmon were ever friends as far as I know. Yeah. He only met him once when he was investigating him for murder, right? Yeah. Um so, what you could do, I mean, is this, okay, let I me mean, ask you this if this is possible. Tony's been injured on the job. Ziva has covered up the actual events and lied about it. Um, that's suspicious as fuck, right? The IG is not investigating her position on the team. Um, so, who handles uh, attempted murder against a federal agent? FBI. So, what if he goes to the FBI? The only time it's not the FBI's purview is if the FBI declines to investigate, then the Criminal Investigation Division of the Department of Defense's Inspector General Office can choose to take the case because NCIS is under the purview of the Department of Defense. And so if the FBI passes on it, they have the option of picking the case up. It's very complicated. I don't think the FBI would. Pass up an opportunity to stick it to NCIS at that point in canon. More to the point, I think that probably considering Shepard's activities that we know are going on in the background. And Ziva's position on that team. There are probably lots of people in in, in the alphabet suit waiting for an opportunity to fuck some shit up. Yeah. So say Tony goes into the FBI and reports that um, in the field, his partner tried to, you know, disobeyed orders, fired her weapon, shot him. There was no investigation. She lied about it in an official report. And he fears for his life. That he believes because she because he reported her to the IG, which was buried, that she tried to kill him in the field. Because I don't think it's a, in those circumstances, I don't think it's a short, um, too short of a stretch. Because if Shepard knows that Tony went to the IG, Ziva knows too. Yeah, especially if, if Shepard arranged to have it shut down. Um, I mean, I, uh, have a story called um that has that basic setup, um, except that instead of Ziva trying to kill Tony, she tries to tank steve mcgarrett's career because tony went to the inspector general with his concerns about her placement on the team now steve's chain of command went oh we don't care who he's fucking. we're going to take the not don't pursue option um is this something that you read or something that you're writing or something that i'm writing look at this cute ass picture oh that's cute as hell there's Steve the and Tony. Ship. It is the mothership. That is adorable. I have to save that. They have to go in my folder. I'm very excited for your story. <laughs> now, this is really funny because I have I have my fandom separated by stuff. It is really telling that my NCIS folder is also my Hawaii Five-O folder. <laughs> it says NCIS-H Five-O. <laughs> Yeah, I basically do the same thing. I think mean, I don't write pure Hawaii Five O, so <laughs> ever. Um, but um, so um, Tony um, so Tony could either go straight to the FBI with it, open a file a complaint, or he could call Morrow and ask for some advice, sort of along the lines of, "Do you know about the FBI you would trust to investigate this?" Um, because, you know, I I accurately reported what happened, and my report was buried. And I was, you know, informed by the inspector general that they would not choose to investigate the situation. So, um, you know, whatever. I, I'm out of there. This would be like two reports, wouldn't it? It would be one on him questioning her viability in the field, and then another on the incident where she basically tried to kill him. Right. And so, and and Tony, I mean, realistically, Tony has to consider, I mean, he's, if he's gone, if he's left, he's out of there. He's going to move on with his life. Um, he still has an obligation to the other people at the agency, right? Um, he probably feels some obligation to McGee. Is, is this, is she going to get McGee killed? Someone asked in the chat room about who handles witness protection in the United States. It's, um, it's the U.S. Marshals, and the only reason I actually remember that is I used to watch this show on USA about the um, Witness Protection Program, and one of the characters, his last name was Marshall, so he was Marshall Marshall, and it's like permanently in my brain, but WITSEC is part of the U.S. Marshals, but I don't remember what the show was called, Marshall Marshall, yeah, in plain sight, thank you, Susan, it was a cute show, it used to be on USA, so Marshall's are part of the Department of Justice. I think they kinda all got pushed under that umbrella. Most of them. Mary McCormick, yes. It was a good show. I really enjoyed it. But what it was cheesy. Marshall Marshall. So so let's say he goes to The Secret Service used to be a Department of the Treasury, but didn't it move? Yeah, they're part of Hamlin Security now. Yeah, but originally they were um, part of um, the Department of Treasury because one of their main missions was to protect the U.S. Con- dollar. Right. They they all the counter ca- ca- which is why if you were on the Treasury side of Secret Service, you you know would have attended Flet Sea and taken criminal investigation training because they would have been pursuing counterfeiting cases. And protection detail was a completely different. Um. Skill set, which was why it made no sense that Kate was treated like a transfer agent. Yeah, she should have gone to flat sea. I mean, I, th- I think there are a couple of months between her getting hired in a job, right? I mean, it, it kind of like skips around. Not remember. Look at Airate acting like she thinks that the NCIS readers actually, um, writers looked it up. So somebody asked about the marshals if they were a um, standalone agency. We don't really have standalone agencies. Um, Everybody's a a function of something else. And a lot of law enforcement is part of the Department of Justice, but not all of it. Um, NCIS is under the Department of Defense. Um, I want to say Homeland Security is under the DOD too, but I need to have to have to double check that. I thought it was. Oh, this woman wants to leave the show. Let let's kill her character. No, the, the DHS is its own. Um, it, it 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 it. The Department of Homeland Security is its own thing and it's subordinate. It's an umbrella. Yeah, it's a lot it's, of it's, other it's, ones. it's an umbrella. So it's an umbrella to like um, customs, um, INS. Um, uh, there's a lot under. Homeland, but then the Department of Justice is another one. They've got the FBI, the U.S. Marshal Service. Um, Homeland also has the Coast Guard, um, which is why Coast Guard is a little bit of a different branch of service. But anyway, so everything everything rolls up into something else. Tony couldn't possibly be in witness protection. He can't be a law enforcement officer and be a witness in witness protection. That doesn't make it. I, I may have missed something in the chat. And I think you mean the Macaluso's, but the whole plot line about the Macaluso's in Baltimore never made any sense. It was stupid. You don't <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how he came out of that alive. You don't go undercover with to the mob truthful. and then go back to work. I'll just go back to my job now. Thanks. Well, uh, the odds of him running into the Macalusos while he's in witness protection, very slim, because the U.S. Marshals wouldn't put him anywhere near where a known Macaluso um, operative was working. They just wouldn't allow it. And if 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 somebody from the Macalusos was anywhere near where Tony's position would be, they would move him. I mean, that's the way it works, right? And witness protection is actually very, 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 very good. At protecting the witnesses. As long as they do exactly what they're told. If you go into witness protection. And you do exactly what you're told. You live. Mm -hmm. But if you don't. You ain't gonna make it. But people in witness protection. Don't get glamorous federal agent jobs. They work at. The laundromat. And Dairy Queen. They have really low end disappear into society jobs. That's just the way it is. That's how they keep them anonymous. They don't have online profiles. They don't have online presences. They don't have Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. They live very small lives. Unless, unless there's a f- program like Stargate that they can disappear them into. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tony's gene, that's certainly a possibility. But um, I, I mean you could write a Tony and law and witness protection story. It's not something I would really be interested in because it's a very limited life. And he would, you know, I, I'm a romance writer and he would be lying to his romantic partner for the rest of his life. Um, and how do you explain the fact that you don't have a Facebook that you won't allow anybody to take your picture? You can't be on Twitter. You don't have an Instagram. Oh no, I don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a difficult kind of story to write and have and and you know keep it believable. Anyway, um, so let's say Tony leaves and he um, somehow through whatever path, whether it's Mara puts him in touch with somebody, or. Um, I agree. I, I don't think the FBI would pass up the opportunity to get all up into NCIS's business. So, I don't think it would have to go to DCIS. Um and I, I there would definitely be the two issues. Especially if the CIA is kind of prodding them saying, "Hey, Shepherd's a problem. She's been a problem. Look what happened with Aerie. What's his sister doing in NCIS? She's a problem." And I think that like, okay, yeah, she's a problem. <laughs> Here's this federal agent with all this experience with a very good employment record with an excellent reputation with local law enforcement he has been shot in the line of duty and Shepard covered it up. So they would get all up in that. Well, but you couldn't do that either because you can't just send him to the UK under his anything associated with anything real. And have that work. That's, he's not his witness protection. I mean, he could go to Europe to get away from... I'm not sure if we're talking about the Macaluso thing at this point. Or if we're talking about Box in. Either way, um, he doesn't go to witness protection under his own name. Um, he doesn't get... When you go into witness protection, um, your family doesn't hear from you again. Unless they go in with you. Um, Any relationships you have with friends are over. Any relationships you have online are done. All your profiles are deleted. Done. You're over. If I went into witness protection tomorrow. Everything I have online would disappear. Everything. Both in my real name and in my various personas. It would all be gone. I would never be able to call my own mother again. Right. So, you don't get to keep, you know, you don't get to cherry pick information or, or family connections that you get to keep. Like, you know, he can't just shed Dinozo and go be a Paddington because his connection to the Paddingtons is known. Therefore, he can't just turn up in in, in Europe as, you know, there as a family member. It, it doesn't work that way. So, anyway, um, in terms of boxed in, there's no reason for him if, if, he wouldn't go into witness protection related to anything in boxed in. Um, I think even if Mossad were after him for whatever reason, it it wouldn't be I don't I don't see it going full on witness protection. He might be in protective custody for a while, but that's a completely different thing. He could be in protective custody. <laughs> I will I will avoid witnessing any mob like crimes. See no evil, hear no evil. <laughs> Lady Holder did do a little short where um where um is it Tony? Ends up um at the SGC and in, in Whitsack. Yeah. But that's you know, that's one thing you could do with fandom that you know isn't you know viable in reality is that Tony could end up in a wit sec position where he ends up on Atlantis with his own name and he's effectively protected unless somebody from the trust needs a favor from somebody in the mob and says, Hey, um, I know where Tony Denozo is. I can arrange to have him kill for you. Oh. I mean, Maybe Eli David. um My shit. Cl- I hate when my shit just stops working. You guys ever have that problem with Discord? It just won't click on anything? Yeah, I have to reload it when that happens. It's really annoying. So, like, what if what if Um, Tony uh, what if Tony does get recruited to the SGC after the events of Boxed In? He's done with the shit. He's so Throws a a spy bomb at the FBI and says, "Hey, <laughs> this is what's going on." And uh, and Tom says, "You know what, Tony? I think you, maybe you need to you know chill somewhere <laughs> besides here for a little while." And he sends Tony to Atlantis. I mean, it's it, timing's timing's good. It's around the time of the second wave. Well, if he has a good relationship with the SECNAV, Tony could still end up, still be a part of NCIS, but be hiding. um, And Shepard wouldn't be able to find him. Yeah. The SECNAV could make that decision. Um, And uh, so while all that's going down on Earth, he's on Atlantis, but there's a trust operative on Atlantis and and. they find out, the the trust find out that Eli David is looking for Tony Genozo um, and they activate that trust asset on Atlantis to kill him. Revenge or whatever. Because Ziva's already spying. There's there's no way she's not. If she was gathering information and sending it under Vance, that shit started under Shepard. So if Eli's asset also his kid, but that's like third or fourth in his agenda, um, ends up at Gitmo for espionage. Which is very likely during this time period. He's not playing a hit. Yeah, and that's a case where they could direct their ire at Tony. Because Tony's the one who wouldn't let it go. Um. I promise not to witness a thing, Tangerine. I promise. <laughs> Sleep well. Um. I rarely leave my house. So I don't think I'll be in a position to end up in WITSEC. <laughs> but um it's hardcore when you when when that happens, you lose everything. That's why a lot of people don't want to end up in the position where they will testify in court against somebody that powerful because they don't want to give up everything. So who tries so there's a trust operative on the city. Keller. Really? Kavanaugh. I can't see Kavanaugh trying to assassinate anybody. No, he's too much of a pussy. (laughs) I see Keller being more likely than Kavanaugh. At this point, Ford would be dead. Or at least, you know, running around the Pegasus galaxy being a drug addict. I sort of like Bureau. I don't know that I would um, I don't know that I would use her as an assassin for the trust. You know, there's actually a story where Keller is trust and um, they figure it out and when Atlanta escapes Earth um, after the season finale, um, she doesn't find out to her fellow trust member agents show up on her doorstep and ask her what the fuck because she wasn't kept in the loop. Um, yeah, and it's if you go straight timeline on the on it from when um boxed in is to where you are at SGA, it's mi- basically mid season two. If you go straight on the timeline, SGA's timeline is very mm-hmm. contradictory, it more is very contradictory. So, I always figure you can move SGA's timeline, you know, four, a months long. Into, four to five, four to six months in any direction and not be particularly inaccurate because they contradict themselves on the timeline all the time. So Carson Beckett is still the doctor at this point on Atlantis. Yeah. He is. And Keller could be lurking in the background, but she's not a front. I mean, the actress isn't a part of the cast yet, so um, you could say that the character came in the second wave of... um, So she could be on the city if you wanted to use Keller. But... Well, you just be sure to have all the people that everybody don't doesn't like in the story. That way, no one has a clue which one of them. And all of them interacting with Tony. That way, nobody has a clue which one of them is going to be the assassin. And then have it not be somebody that people generally hate. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's very uh, tempting to make her the... The but I do think that specifically, if she's out there as a trust, lady holders, right? She'd be out there as a honey trap for McKay, yeah. But also, honestly, if she was cold, cold blooded enough to kill somebody with her knowledge, she's going to succeed, right. So Tony's going to be better positioned to survive an encounter with somebody who's like a military assassin, who's going to go for strength or bullets or something. than somebody who could, during the course of his routine medical dose him with something. And he's just mysteriously dead. Unless Atlantis, unless she, unless unless that's her exact plan is she's going to dose him with something. She's going to poison him and Atlantis stops her. Uh, You know, Chuck, you know, Canadians have a lot of pent-up rage. I kind of feel like Canadians are like the, that they're that the Canadian geese is just like a red flag for the rest of us. Um, and that Canadians have that burning, seething fury and deep inside them. Have you ever and been to Canada? They, huh? Yeah, I have. I don't know where you got this impression from. <laughs> I've got Canadian relatives. <laughs> I do, too. I, I've never detected any deep wells of anger. Maybe it's because they they push all their fury into those Canadian geese. They have some kind of witchcraft ritual. It could be. It's something that they do in the snow every year when they're stuck inside for six months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, Chuck could be a seething hot mess of fury. You don't know. What he's been through sitting there at that console for five years. You don't know. I promise. I promise. I would never um, use Chuck as a villain. Ever. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Actually, you know, honestly, if um, I was going to do it and I didn't um, want to be too obvious, I wouldn't pick Keller um, or Beckett. And of course, you know, Chuck, I I actually like Chuck, so I wouldn't make him the bad guy. Um, One of the nurses could be a a nurse, maybe even a military nurse, so that it's not something completely, you know. Parish, go to the corner. (laughs) But like, what if it's, um, (gasps) Ellie, you're not even out of the corner. we're going to have to make oh. a new corny for, corner for you. Bates What's is the- not on the city after season one. Um, he goes back to Earth and um, ends up working for um, the IWA. Oh, I, you know, I I would never use Bates personally, and I'll just tell you why. It's not, not that you can't do you. You do what you want. But I wouldn't because I feel like he got a a uh, bad rap from fandom for doing his job. Right. Um, it was his job as head of security for the city to be suspicious of everyone, and it was like because of the way he was about Taylor, which it was more people should have been the way he was about her. Honestly, um, he got a really he get he gets like treated like shit in a lot of stories because he was doing what he was supposed to do so I, I i wouldn't make him the bad guy just because I feel like just it's just my thing. I feel like fandom is just shit on him a lot for actually doing his job. I made him see most of the time he's a good guy, maybe he's got to stick up his ass like in Lantean legacy he has he has to stick up his ass a little bit um but he the only only story where I've ever written him is just a complete asshole was what might have been, and that was because um I drew names out of a hat. Well, I had four different a- names to pick for that and Bates is the one that got picked. It wasn't anything... It's not like the same thing with Sam Carter and Ties it Bind. I needed somebody to fill that role and she was the one that filled it. <laughs> well, but what might have been a such a complete AU that mm-hmm. it's it's not like he would have been in that position doing his job on... Right. Dark's giving us an angry rainbow catacorn. <laughs> I don't know what we did. I don't either. Someone said Stackhouse. <gasps> well, he is very military bound, which is why he would not assassinate their agent Civilian. afloat. <laughs> I mean, there are some probably some 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 characters I'm, I I could use that I'm more ambivalent about. Um Hell, I'd 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 have it be Kate Heitmeyer before I'd have it be Mark out Markham or Stackhouse or Bates or Bill Lee. Bill Lee is there is no way. But what if like somebody um is a trust asset on the city unwillingly and they're being blackmailed and uh, I think Kate Hei Heitmeyer dies in the second season, so she might not be we have to look on the outline but she dies with the crystal entity thing if it's called well while well, he's snaked the timing is right yeah yeah what if the snake goes out there with the with the intention of assassinating denozo if in the event that the city doesn't explode that like you know if they manage to, if tony manages they managed to prevent the bomb from going off because that's a risk, right? If they manage to stop the bomb that the snake has orders to kill Tony to be sure he's dead. Now, here's the question about the snake. Why is the snake trust? What is that go getting out of this whole situation? What were any of them getting out of it? I mean, it was just, I, I felt like the trust was really honestly, really poorly explained. Except he was like, he wasn't even a big player. I mean, that gold had been put in a foot soldier, basically. But weren't a lot of them? I mean, weren't a lot of the trust operatives who had been snaked? They basically were, they certainly weren't the ghouled with delusions of grandeur. So, I don't understand why they thought it was a good idea. Like, at, at this point, was Ball really in charge of all of it? It certainly seemed like it. It's never fully explained.. Um, well. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Your sarcasm is noted and appreciated. <laughs> well, the gold that were implanted in the trust they they weren't blank slates, um, and we know that the symbiotes that the Javal carried were evil twisted fucked up little things. Remember that one that was in the female Jafar who she thought she had basically nurtured this gold into being a Tokra. But when she got him a host, he killed her. Tanith. Yeah. So they're not like blank slates, these these um symbiotes that the trusts have. They are gold. They are they are psychotic little motherfuckers. So um, I don't know why they were putting these psychotic little motherfuckers in their operatives. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, how many of Unless, them... Unless Ball was really in charge of the trust at this point. Which I think is likely. But how many of them were Ball's clones? I don't know. Maybe all of them. Okay, Baal fled to Earth and took control of the Trust in an attempt to rebuild his power base by cloning himself, infiltrating the Trust, expanding his technological advantage, recruiting brainwashed Jaffa army, and seeking the knowledge of both the Ancients and the Ori. To throw off the Jaffa, Baal created a series of clones and allowed one of them to be captured and took to Dakara, where the clone was killed by the free Jaffa leader, Gar- Garak, uh, who believed it to be the system lord himself. Meanwhile, Baal also attempted a new plan of conquest by stealing stargates and cutting them off from the rest of the network he intended to activate the dakara super weapon and destroy all life in the galaxy causing the ori who had recently learned of human life in the milky way to lose interest all mm-hmm. oh, was just a giant pain in the ass ultimately the last stand of Ball's clones was the last of his clones were captured and extracted only for the clone to claim prior to his extraction that the real ball had a contingency plan. Just then the real one used the solar flare in conjunction with the Stargate to travel back in time to prevent the Earth Stargate from getting to America by sinking the ship that was taking it to America in 39, thereby changing the present. And that was so, what continuum. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and let's and let's not forget that our introduction to Ball was when he continuously tortured Jack O'Neill to death. <laughs> That's great. So it could be that all of these are ball ball clones, right? Um, I don't know. So it could be that that's probably, you know. If and why why would the guild the why would the trust want to do this? Well, if, if they've got somebody they want, you know, favor from, or they a, maybe a political leader they're trying to corrupt or whatever, and the favor that is being asked, the price that is being asked is. Okay, then we we need this guy killed. And they're like, all right, well, he's going to blow up anyway. But in the event he doesn't blow up, we'll be sure that he is assassinated. Not a problem. I mean, there are some ripples. Um, if the Ga'ul is in charge, how far does Tony have to go to defend himself? Because one of the realistic ripples of this is that Tony Denozo has to kill Stephen Caldwell. Not necessarily. It's one of the potential ripples. In, potential in, ripple- in order to survive it. Because a Gaul does nothing to fuck with. He'd be stronger. The What? <laughs> <laughs> what is she talking about? That's her and beam? I mean well, I, know beam, I know what a turduck beam. I know what is, but I don't know what a turduck beam is. I don't think taking the sea out is gonna change that. I don't <laughs> know what that is, Queenie. <laughs> I low key ship Tony Caldwell too, but not while he's got a snake in his head. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> You mentioned are a strange... Even. You mentioned a strange mood tonight. I don't even know what to do with you. <laughs> oh, so what um, said is that the snake is... This, that Caldwell's the turducken. Because <laughs> he's infested with a gull. Yeah. That's... Oh, you need to me, get in the corner. Although you need a third Never presence for it to be a proper turducken <laughs> analogy. I mean, like... Because our turducken is a... It is a a duck and a chicken and a chicken. So is it like a chicken and a turkey, a turkey and a duck? No, it's a chicken and a duck and a turkey. Turducken. (laughs) Chicken inside the duck, duck inside the turkey. (laughs) That is the most bizarre threesome I've ever heard of. (laughs) Don't question the turducken, Margaret. (laughs) Margaret. It is what it is. I mean, but, I've heard it's actually really good. Um, but I don't like duck. That does not look appetizing at all. Um, I, but I really don't like duck. Anyway, so for those of you listening to the podcast, somebody referred to the 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 uh, Asgard beam that got the ghouls out as a turducken beam. <laughs> Which, I mean, but it took, order- it, took a, <laughs> it took us a minute. Go ahead. I, I just, <laughs> I'm never, <laughs> I'm never gonna get that out of my head. Now, if I ever watch an episode again, I'm gonna think of it as the turducken beam, which means, of course, implicitly that Caldwell is the turkey <laughs> in that scenario. <laughs> and today, in the role of turkey, we have Hugh <laughs> <Stephen> Caldwell. <laughs> Well, I mean I mean in that scenario, I think he would actually be the duck. And the Daedalus would be the turkey. Turkey. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. The Daedalus <laughs> is the turkey. Which makes the gould a chicken. Which, you know, is not actually an unrealistic comparison. No. Um but, but, and in order for chicken. them to act, to have the idea to use the her duck and beam, first they have to recognize that Caldwell has been chicken. <laughs> they would have to. <laughs> I can't laugh like this. I need to pee. <laughs> How did this get here? How? I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Now we need to write this. Who said the turducken beam? Give me your name because I'm about to give you credit when the turducken <laughs> beam is used in a story. <sighs> Who said turducken? I think and that beam? it has to be like Novak's nickname for it. It will be like everybody will turn and look at her. And she'll be like, "What?" <laughs> it was line She don't okay. want to have credit for it now. It's too late. It's too late, Does baby. Blame at this point, sweetheart. It's going to go, we'll have Tony make the the analogy about, okay, so like you're saying like the ghoul, can he get to explain, it's like the ghoul is like a chicken and the host is like a duck. (laughs) And you're going to use like this turducken beam to get the chicken out. And then from then on, he's going to call it being chickened. (laughs) Oh, oh, I see. Okay. (sighs) <sighs> but again, they can't perform this de chickening until, um, <laughs> They can't until they know he's actually, you know, been stuffed. So, God. <laughs> the de ducking. <laughs> the de- <laughs> I can't God. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <He's> gonna... <laughs> Somebody says, how do we unstuff this? <laughs> you know, sometimes I think to myself, people who are listening to this podcast, um, much in the future going to be like, what the fuck were those bitches smoking? I assure you, I've been smoking nothing, future podcast listeners, <laughs> but that's legal where I am. I'm just saying, <laughs> but I haven't been near that shit like in twenty years, uh, yeah, about twenty years. I gotta go to the bathroom, sorry <laughs> <laughs> you guys have ruined me. <laughs> Ponder how we're going to approach the deducting. You know, you know the deducting, the deducting. you know, Emmeline, if one beer does this to you, I think you might need to make a a life choice about alcohol. <laughs> Just saying. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> Some people can't handle it. There's going to be a deducting. Really shouldn't it be de chickening? Because isn't the gold the chicken? I mean, if it's a de ducking, that means we're gonna deduct the the gold. Declucking queenie. I mean the right. chicken. And so that makes Caldwell the duck. Because the chicken is the gold and Caldwell is the duck and whatever vehicle he might be in at any given time it's the turkey. <laughs> Somebody had to go. In some cases, yes, Atlantis would be the temporary turkey. Or, Or Daedalus, you know, if he's on the Daedalus. So, for those of you who aren't reading the chat, it somebody said when when Kira said, "Whatever Caldwell happens to be in is the turkey," someone immediately said Tony, which <laughs> so you know, somebody who no. was going to go there. Somebody was going to go. There. Tony cannot. I will say, Tony cannot get fucked by Caldwell while he's been chickened. It's just not cool. <laughs> But also I think that if um honestly, honestly, if Caldwell physically attacks Tony, um that that takes I mean, even if he's chickened, um, it, it it really takes any romantic relationship off the table. Cause once somebody's been physically violent with you, no matter the circumstances, no matter their their um culpability, it would be really difficult to trust them in an intimate way yeah I feel, unless you're already in, unless you're already in a relationship with somebody um and you know that this that they've been possessed or something and still there'd be a get over it period you know you have, to have time to get past it but what if what if the ball clone had a really big crush on tony like an <clears> epic crush and so he wasn't wanting to f- fulfill his mission and Caldwell is running around Atlantis flirting with Tony and everybody's like what the fuck is going on is Caldwell okay does he need to go into medical so he's not wanting the city to blow up or maybe he's planning on taking Tony on the data list abducting him away so that he doesn't get blown up when the city gets blown up because the the, the... how did we get here <laughs> I don't know I don't know Edie. well it wouldn't be i don't think it'd be a matter of anybody knowing whether or not caldwell is straight or not it'd be an act a a military officer openly pursuing a gay relationship that would be especially during the time of, of don't ask don't tell it would be like what like whoa what queenie We already explicitly said that neither one of us would write him having sex with Tony while he was snaked. Ever. Um, In Ties That Bind, Caldwell is snaked during um, the last episode, The North Star. Um, But the snake is dormant. The snake doesn't take over until Caldwell is installed on Atlantis. So you could write it where the snake is kind of because you know in you've seen it in um, SG one where the Tokra and the snake share a body. So you could have the snake dormant in Caldwell until, um, and just kind of like acting without t- with, um, without Caldwell's awareness, like getting up while Caldwell's asleep, setting the bomb. Yeah. Trying to kill Tony. Or alternatively leaving him love notes. Whatever you, you want to do. Whichever way you want to go. I, yeah, I would never, ever, ever write someone having sex with in that situation. Because certainly Tony was; would, it wouldn't would be consenting to have sex with a... Uh, at least, I mean probably something that's realistically happens, but it would not be something that I would write if I intended to write Tony and Caldwell in a relationship later. Rebel. I don't think I, yeah. Corner. A little corner. Night Roshni. Um, the goal for, but to answer your real question, the goal can leave a host for another. We see it happen. Um, mm-hmm. It, Both instances you, we see it happen in SG1, it's because the other host was dying. And if, but it would also conceivably kill uh, the, the host it left behind. But there was one episode where a gold left a body so that another gold could take the host. In the episode where they find the Toker Queen, where they also find the yeah, Egera, when they find the Toker Queen, the uh, one of the Tokra, um, once they realize who she is, they leave the body of their host so that host can take the queen. So it, it isn't necessarily a destinance for the host for the host to leave for the goal to leave, it's something that I think the goal can either do or not do. And more often than not, when it's a goal, they choose to kill their host. I think the Tokra queen does eventually die after she goes back to. Her people, yeah <laughs> dark says the snake sees Tony he can't control himself and leaves Caldwell to try to take him. Ronan shoots it Caldwell gets some therapy returns and says thank you to Tony for being so pretty. he's snake nip <laughs> I think in this okay. case it would be chicken nip chicken nip <laughs> Thank you Bablo <Bob> job. <laughs> Ronan did do the killing in that scenario, so why isn't he getting late? This is the question. You know. Well, um, by the time Caldwell gets back from his therapy, Ronan and I have gotten laid a lot. <laughs> True. True. It makes you corny, dark. Definitely <laughs> it makes you corny. How did we get here? I mean, you know, I... I I honestly have no idea. This is not at all what I thought we'd be working on tonight. Is the Turducken podcast. The Turducken. I'm always going to remember this as the Turducken podcast. Run and Ride to Unicorn. Hello, Senna. My spouse is here. Um, you missed the whole Turducken thing. You did miss the Turducken. 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 The Turducken. I just... Oh. <laughs> okay. So, the question is, would Hannibal find a turducken an abomination or would he be fascinated? That's a question. It is a question. <laughs> I think I think it's the wrong series of birds for Hannibal. <laughs> I think you'd have to be something like quail, pheasant, and and goose or something. It's it's just too banal, too pedestrian for Hannibal. Ostrich. You see a big giant bird on his table. (laughs) Not for Hannibal. (laughs) You don't know who you're talking about. Peacock. No, Hannibal wouldn't eat a peacock. Um. They're kind of stingy. I don't know how I could have possibly ruined Hannibal for you, Queenie. I ruined you with Hannibal. Oh, okay. okay. Doesn't well, that makes a- more sense. Doesn't he eat an Ortolan in canon? Queenie, I don't even know what to do with the information you just gave me, so I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. What's in the box? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the real question, Dark. <laughs> You have a strange notion of the real question, <clears throat> and there's the knife and fork. It's not you. You're absolutely right, Dark. I mean, I think the final insertion would be the final insertion. I mean, when he has all of his birds, I mean, and he picks who he's going to insert the rest of it into. It's a, it's a good question. What is a good question, Chilton? <laughs> Chilton or Freddy Lounds? I mean, <laughs> Chilton. <laughs> well, if he finds the whole, if Hannibal finds the whole notion of you know incremental bird stuffing to be an abomination, he might choose to stuff. The bird abomination into who he considers to be a psychiatric abomination, which would be Chilton. <laughs> it's poetic. There's some, yeah, it is poetic. Look, Hannibal takes his groceries seriously. I'm send the whole fucking chat room to the corner. I already said the whole fucking chat room to the corner. Okay, well, clearly it didn't work. I know, I know, but you know what? Really, in the end, it's it's Emmy's fault. It, the turduck and beam, that's where we lost it. Yes. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think we should just accept that this is going to be cracktastic and lean in. Okay, in that case, I need to go pee first. I'll be right back. Okay, I'll just be silent. <laughs> how did we get to a midfuck deduct? How did that, how did we get there? There'll be no mid fuck ducking I don't know. <sighs> okay, but like, let's let's back up and try again. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 get away from the turducken, the du- turducken, and. Um, Take, take, let's just start. We're going to go back to boxed in. Let's just go. So Tony leaves. Um, now, like in fandom, there are a couple of places that he goes when he leaves. Um, sometimes, like, he goes off and he becomes a writer, or he goes to Homeland Security, or he joins the FBI, or, um, if it's, you know, at this point, it wouldn't be, um, Steve McGarrett is still in hostage, I mean, in um, fugitive recovery for the for for the Navy. So Hawaii really isn't on the table unless he goes without McGarrett. I mean, it would just be him, um, and maybe he meets McGarrett somewhere along the way. Now, in this particular pot, in this particular um, drift, um, what's it called again? What did I call it? Ch-ch-ch-ch. What'd you call what what is this podcast called i think it's tony leaves tony after boxed in. in so that doesn't actually he doesn't he doesn't have to leave the agency although we kind of went there he could just leave the team right my i i, I hit something stupid <laughs> and it just kind of knocked me off <laughs> so he could just leave the team he could take a leave of absence um while it all gets sorted out, which actually he probably would have to., um, you know, one of the misnom one of the things that happens in fandom that I think is actually kind of ridiculous is the use of Brad Pitt. Um, he's an infectious disease specialist. After Tony stopped having the plague, he wouldn't be Tony's doctor. I mean, he could do follow-ups with Tony periodically to check the progression of him and because I'm sure T- Brad wrote up Tony's case for medical journals, but his following Tony would be purely from a academic perspective. It would not right. be. Um, so if he's having problems with his lungs, it wouldn't be Brad he sees. He'd right. be seeing people, um, pulmonary. See people, yeah. He, he'd Oncologist? have a pulmonologist. He have a pulmonologist. I do see people write Brad as a pulmonologist, but it doesn't make any sense that Brad would be his doctor in that, in swack if he were a pulmonologist because they didn't know what was wrong with Tony. In fact, the reason that he was brought in is because he was an infectious disease disease specialist. Because they didn't know what Tony had been exposed to. so um... and He probably wasn't the only one they brought in. They probably brought in somebody who dealt with biological weapons. um, Someone who, I mean, so there was probably a lot of people on the team that were studying Genozo and the contagion before they figured out what he had. And then Brad would have been the the lead on the case because it was his wheelhouse. Now he and Tony could be friends and he could follow up with Tony periodically just, or you could, you could do something there, but to write Brad as being a pulmonologist and being the person primarily responsible for Tony's aftercare just doesn't make any kind of sense. And also that whole thing about him throwing a fit. I, you know, I find the way a lot of NCIS writers approach characters um, in NCIS appalling. It's like not a single damn one of them has an ounce of emotional um, maturity. You don't actually get to be an adult and do your job every day and throw fits at work. I'm talking to all y'all who made Tony throw his stapler in the bullpen. All y'all. You don't throw a stapler in a bullpen and have a job certainly not one where you carry a gun i mean right don't ever bring a stapler to a gunfight yeah i mean there was that one time at work that i had like a really difficult person on the phone and i put them on hold and i let i got up from my desk and i picked up my change purse i needed to go to the damn coke machine and i got me two cans of coke and i was like nope and so i went into um the main office and said i need like a quiet space for like five minutes and so the secretary put me in a small private conference room and i sat there in silence and drank two diet cokes and counted to like three thousand i don't know (laughs) but i did not have a fit at work and then i went back and picked that phone back up and said okay so i've been doing some research (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, uh, you know how in NCIS when Gibbs wants to rattle a suspect, he'll slam his hand down on the on the table. And yeah, just I've done that once. I did that once at work. Um, That's the most I've ever acted out at the office was that. And the thing is, we had this engineer from Russia over and he was just being such a dick. And there were senior managers in the room who weren't doing anything about his behavior. And he was just getting, he got to the point where he was being abusive verbally to one of the other people in the room. And it was my meeting. And I just hit the wall with him. And I slammed my hand down the table and I went, hey, and everybody got stopped and froze with Sarah. I said, you better dial it down or you leave this conference room right now because we're not putting up with that in here. And everybody just kind of froze. Yeah, it worked. He, he got real quiet he's like well i just was expressing i said no you were being abusive we you totally crossed the line and we need to get this meeting back on track and we're not going to have any of that anymore but there was a whole sp- i mean i i my hand hurt for the rest of the day i hit it, that table so hard i smacked the hell out of that table and yelled and later i talked to my boss is in the meeting and he's i said I know I shouldn't have done that. He said, no, probably not. But I was sitting there trying to think of how to get him to shut up and you handled it. <laughs> so I can't say I want you doing all the time, but that was a pretty extreme situation. I did not add, I did not bruise my hand, but I mean, in general, that's just not the way you behave at work. And you know, while you can write characters, um, losing their shit, um, You don't, it's, it's disingenuous and inappropriate to write it as a positive thing um, and to write it as a part of your characterization for your, for your main character as something that they should be proud of doing. Yeah. And you have to be very careful with somebody who's in law enforcement, who has to do psychological qualifications to carry a gun. You have to be very careful if they're going to lose it, how you have them lose it. Because if they show they can't control their temper or if they show they're an emotional basket case it could affect their ability to qualify to be in the field. So you may be sabotaging your character, realistically sabotaging your character's career by having them have an epic meltdown, you know, in in a, in a place where it's inappropriate. Like if he, you know, Tony and Gibbs got into a screaming match behind closed doors. Okay. At work. Okay. I mean, he could totally lose it with Gibbs and have that happen, but for him, you know, for, for him just to lose his mind, um, yeah, the axe, dance on the axe of the table was canon. Yeah, that was really bullshit. Anyway. um I didn't watch that. I mean, I stopped watching NCIS. What happened? They were trying to get this kid to confess to something and they were using this axe as a... Yeah, the suspect was 17. And they were using this axe as a uh, intimidation tactic. I think it had been the murder weapon or something, right? Um... And uh, they just kept pushing this kid, and Vance slammed that axe into the table. And uh, yeah, it was really, it was really beyond the pale. But it was, but on the other hand, it was portrayed in the episode that it wasn't appropriate what they were doing. So that's something. Not a lot, but it's something. It was not inappropriate. It was not appropriate was not appropriate. The the episode, like I, as I recall, I have I only saw this episode once because I thought it was really irritating. Yeah. Vance did know the the victim. And he was getting Gibbs to push this kid in an interrogation. And um this kid actually is if I remember correctly, Dark, the kid didn't do it right. The 17 year old he he wasn't involved. And Vance used the axe to try to intimidate a confession out of him. Wow. Wow. It was one of those episodes where I was like horrified at at how awful the episode was that uh it's one I never had rewatched. Anyway, um Did Ziva actually kill that dude in the elevator? I didn't yeah. think she actually killed him. Well, her actions led to his death. It was some kind of um if she hadn't smacked him in the throat, he wouldn't have died. Ah. Uh, wow. And she got away with it. Yeah. I mean that's at the very least involuntary manslaughter. Right? Uh-huh. Wow. I'm really glad I stopped watching the show. That was pretty early on. The guy she smacked in the throat. That was that was it. Can you look up what the episode that was? It was it was in season three, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean Dark remembered that better than I did. She said that um, the the aneurysm was considered a pre-existing condition and it would have gone eventually anyway. So that yes, you know, they, they, they kind of covered it all up and let her get away with it because he would have died eventually anyway. Um, Wow. 322. So that's 10 episodes after Boxton. I mean, like we all die eventually, but (laughs) yeah, that's the episode Ellie. It it is the one where Shepard was kidnapped by the guy's brother. Well, the thing is, um, SJ, I think if Tony took a stand after Box in, that the thing is, the minute you start pulling the threads of what's going on at NCIS, you lose the directors out. There's no way anybody who goes in and actually starts investigating that situation doesn't result in Jenny losing the directorship. And potentially... Yes, she should. And it should, could potentially even have blowback on the Secretary of the Navy, because he... the secretary, Unlike other um, law enforcement, like the where the the directors of other agencies, sorry, I couldn't go up with the word director, some some of them are appointed by the president. The se- director of NCIS is appointed by the Secretary of the Navy. So it's his sole decision. So it could have it could have blowback on him as well. Um, although they might make a deal with him to protect him from consequences if he doesn't do anything to obstruct their investigation. Because that's how those things work. So, I mean, if you go that route, as opposed to Tony, like, you know, and the thing is, if, if it looked like Mossad was going to be an issue, like they might come after Tony, Tony could might have in protective custody for a while while they sorted everything out. Um, but I think once the FBI starts looking into it and they start seeing some things that are inappropriate, honestly, you'd probably lose Gibbs too. Because um, if they start pulling the thread, They're going to find that Gibbs lied in his report about the issue with Ari. He took the blame for killing Ari when it was Ziva. So. So. What you could do is. So Tony reports up the chain. It gets ignored. It gets ignored. He goes to the FBI or he goes to Morrow. And Morrow has him seconded. Say it for me. Seconded. Seconded. Yes, to Homeland. Um, gives him an assignment wherever he would like him to go. Get him out of the way. Um, takes everything down. I think Mara would take it as a deep personal insult that um, Shepard is doing what she's doing. With, with his agency. So in this scene that Dark copied, uh, it, it looks like Gibbs recognized immediately that Ziva was responsible for that guy's death. I don't think that I mean I think that it would be best if he's not um placed like if the director of the NCI- NCIS is going to get fucked up you wouldn't want to leave Tony like in any position where he where Shepard could have theoretical um um theoretical access to him. Right. And the thing is she's not she's if Tony would. With- Mm -hmm. based on the premise that Tony has been complaining all along and that she's been quashing it, she's not going to suddenly get cooperative with it being investigated after the whole boxed in incident. She's going to continue to try to obstruct and probably try to blackball Tony if he tries to push it, which is why, you know, if he's, she's gotten the IG to back down, at least the, there's so many inspector generals, the inspector general for NCIS to back down. Um, Tony's not going to have a lot of choices. He's going to have to just outright quitting means that he's going to get blackballed. She's going to make sure try to ruin his his. Um... And Tony's not dumb. I think that if you play him a little savvy, and he just kind of just backs off, and then does a, um, you can maybe do a unilateral unilateral transfer into Homeland Security. Under Morrow. With his mandate to be to take down Jenny Shepard. Because she's up to something. And she isn't the only one. I mean, she's lining pockets left and right to keep all this under wraps, right? I would think so. I mean, she's using her power whatever way she can. Um, uh, SecNav is probably Philip Davenport. I don't think we see Davenport on screen though. So, I mean, Davenport, we lose Davenport at the end of Season 8. Um, sure. But it would be, it's a little bit strange that you'd have a single Secretary of the Navy for eight years. Eight plus years. So it might not have been Davenport, but it's it's, it's certainly common fan and than it is. I mean, if he's going to hang tough and make Shepard pay... Then he needs to play his cards right. And he, and he needs to go to somebody he can trust. Um, and for me. Based on canon at that point. I think that's Tom Morrow. Yeah I agree. The thing is I don't think he would be able to hang tough though. Like at NCIS. No. Especially not if Which she. Which is why he, I think a transfer to Homeland Security would be in his best interest. Especially not if he thinks that she's trying to kill him. Before she ruins his life. Because she might see it as him just retreating and her winning. And also, would she be willing to try to, set, to risk trying to murder um, another agent? An, an agent at another federal agency? Would she kick that hornet's nest? Um... I mean, if Morrow said he wanted Tony and he was going to have Tony, I think she would. It would be in her best interest to not fight it. But on the other, on the other hand, she sometimes did make completely irrational decisions. Um, I mean, she didn't. She didn't care at all about pissing off the CIA. But Morrow had a lot more power than she did. Well, The CIA had more power than she did in general. But they didn't use it, and that's like what? No, they just. Tried to kill Tony for some reason. They tried to punish her by killing one of her agents. Yeah, basically. Which is why I would never write, ever, in in the fictional NCIS universe. The CIA of that universe is clearly a giant bag of dicks. So I would never have Tony go to the CIA. I mean, it's po- I think I think she was probably already sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible she took the directorship already sick, and that you know she called in a lot of favors to get in the chair so that she would be able to. Um, it's her. Now, it, the thing is, I've seen some fan theories that like people, like Jenny, wanted to keep Tony would tr- fight to keep Tony around because she needed him for her undercover op. I don't think Tony was not well positioned for her to use for that op. The only reason she wound up using him, I believe that was completely opportunistic, was because Gibbs wasn't around. Because she was going to have no luck getting one of Gibbs' people on an undercover operation, an unsanctioned undercover op with Gibbs there. Gibbs chafed at her. That was a opportunity. Yeah. So she was she wasn't she was opportunistic about inviting Tony into that. Um, into that because he was he met the profile that she needed and he was easy for her to manipulate that would not have been the case the easy to manipulate would not have been the case with Gibbs present um right I agree with you there would have been other options if Gibbs was present so the idea that that far back that she would have been fighting to keep Tony so that he could go undercover for her doesn't really make a lot of sense because that's you know Probably seven months or so before she started implementing her undercover operation. Except, what if she came into the directorship with the sole purpose, like every step she made to get into that chair was so that she I means so that she could avenge her father's so-called oh, I, murder. I believe it, but I just don't believe that the person she would be thinking of to be her Patsy would be Tony. I think. No, I kind of always thought it should have been like she should have tried to get Ziva in as a friend. Yeah. Well, Ziva, Ziva would have, Ziva would have done it on the face of it because Ziva probably knew about the op all along. Mm-hmm. Um, but she probably has like, um, honestly, she probably would have been better off trying to find like a TAD agent who she knew had reasonable undercover skills that wasn't attached to anything to work on a special project for her. Cause she could have covered that whole thing up using Tony was just a, an opportunity. It was opportunistic. Yeah. Um, because I don't believe she came into the chair expecting to, I, I believe she expected to get her revenge. I believe she came in planning for that. But I don't believe she came in with the thought that she was going to use Tony DiNozzo to help her enact her revenge. The question becomes is when did she find out that the frog had a daughter? I'm sure she knew before she got there. She was bartering information with with massage. she had to know coming in. And Mossad, you could even argue, you could even say, it's even possible, that while Ziva was out doing um, um, profiles on the team, that she probably did background and profiles on Jean Benoit. And the sole purpose of that entire un- undercover operation, um, that girl, and they knew it, she knew nothing about her father. There were plenty of ways that, that he could have gotten an introduction to the frog. That She could have gotten an asset to be introduced to the frog. Um the whole purpose of that op was to make his daughter hurt the way she hurt. I actually think that it's likely that Shepard would have uh, would have killed Jean before I she before she killed Renee Benoit. Benoit and even might have been her primary and on that all, all plan to be the primary all along, um, and then she went with a different tactic once. Once Tony was on the team. Because why not break her heart first? Right. Then kill her. So Ziva could have done all of the prep. Because Jenny can't very well run around following um, Jean Benoit around, right? But if Massa's given her information about this is who Renee Benoit's daughter is, this is where she lives. And then Ziva um, is doing those profiles on the team. And there's a there's a significant time gap not in terms of the episode but in terms of the re- reality of when Ziva joined the team is it was probably 4 months or so between um Ari being killed and Ziva actually joining the team and that's plenty of time for her to have done recon work for Jenny in exchange as part of the payment for her coming into NCIS so bear in mind that even though the kill area episodes aired in September, they would have re- they were realistically continuations of twilight, which aired in, in, um, May. So all of that kill area arc and excluding Jenny coming onto the team would have all occurred in May. And then the summer Ziva is not on the team. Ziva doesn't join the team until several, silver, silver war. Um, So there's three to four months I mean, because the daughter serves no no other purpose. Right. Because she didn't know a damn thing about her father's operation. So there was no information to get there. It wasn't about information, but what it could have been is it could be that Jenny, by watching the daughter closely, which is actually what wound up happening, by having somebody positioned close to the daughter where Jenny could keep an eye on her, she knew, she would know when Rene Benoit was accessible. And then as soon as, because as soon as she knew when and where Rene Benoit would be, she killed him. And that's what she did, right? And she got that information because Rene Benoit came to see his daughter, which she knew because Tony was in place. So that could have always been the plan, was to have somebody close to um, the daughter for in the event that Rene turned up. But in terms of cleaning house, you could easily write it that the original plan was for it to be Ziva and that Ziva would kill um, Jean when it was all over and Jenny would kill Renee. I think it holds together. Um, but, you know, yeah. things things change. You know, it's moving parts. Things change. And Gibbs was gone. And... Um, she decided maybe that a boyfriend could be someone closer and more available than just a random friend. And so she decided to use Tony instead. But it is, I totally could see Ziva in that summer period have done all of the reconnaissance work on Jean for Jenny before she started working on Gibbs' team. Knew exactly where to hit her. Mm hmm. Knew what kind of and Ziva could have even have observed what kind of men Jean found attractive. Who is she dating? What do they look like? And that could have what be what put the idea of Tony into Jenny's head is because maybe Tony looked like exactly her type. Which makes it all worse. I don't think she was a. s I don't think she had a psychotic break. Um I don't not and I don't know that I think her brain was compromised. I think she was obsessed with revenge. And she didn't care what the cost was, and I don't think you have to be a sociopath, I don't think that kind of obsessional hatred necessarily qu- means psychopathy or sociopathy. No, she was very, she, Jenny, Jenny Shepard was a highly emotional creature. Um, she was um, very passionate and um, jealous and determined, um, and her anger and, I mean, all of that is just, it's too much to fit on the sociopathological scale. Um, at times, she was overwrought. Yeah. I which could she- go back to her brain disorder. Um, you know, w- what it was doing to her emotional control. But none of that speaks to sociopathology. She was also, um, she could also be very cold and very calculating. But, she knew she was a. She knew she had a. She was on a countdown timer, right? She knew she didn't have a lot of time, and so, I think that fueled the level of emotionalism she had, and and made her um. Take crazy chances sometimes because she knew she didn't have forever. But she was just driven by hatred. That 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 was it. Was just both hot and cold, probably. She just was hated Renee Benoit. And that's... She was obsessed with, with killing him and making him suffer. And she didn't really care who got hurt in the process. She was far too rational for it to be a psychosis. Even the day she was going to die. Going out in her so-called blaze of glory to protect Gibbs from her mistake. Um... She was very rational about it. That 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 does not speak to psychosis. She was just a deeply flawed human being. Yeah. Just that, flawed. Yeah. And not everybody who commits an obsessional obsessional crime is psychotic. You don't have to be crazy to kill somebody. But it helps. <laughs> it helps, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, you could assign either one of these um, psychological conditions to her and tailor your characterization to make it fit. But in canon, neither one of them fit. She's just an asshole. An irrational, deeply flawed, obsessional, obsessively, just just an asshole. um, Who could not accept that her father killed himself. So instead of believing that her father killed himself and left her, um, abandoned her, she chose to believe he was murdered. And she punished everyone she could get her hands on she believed to be responsible for it. And she did it um, without fear of being caught because she knew she was dying. I imagine being told she had a terminal illness was her trigger. There were no ramifications left for her. She was going to die, so it didn't matter. Yeah, she's like that lady at the pharmaceutical company. It's like, well, I'm dying of a brain tumor. I might as well go kill some NCIS agents with a you know, bio plague. bioengineered plague. Because, you know, even if they figure out who did it, I'm not gonna serve any time. So time was I, certainly a factor, yeah. But I think I think it really holds together that the idea that um in terms of Tony leaving as a result the boxed in would be a trigger for him to leave um and if you don't you could even just use this basic setup could apply anywhere early season three except that specifically tony sees that his life might be in jeopardy and if his life is in jeopardy some the next person's might be based because of whatever agenda is jenny and um ziva have going on so if he's getting the hell out of Dodge, he's, I, mean, I think he would still pursue it to try to protect other people. But it could also argue that he would probably give get, put a bug in Gibbs' ear and go, look, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with you and with these two women. I don't know what your deal is. But something's not right here. And I'm giving you a heads up before somebody else gets hurt. And then depending upon how you feel about Gibbs, you could, you know, swing that. I do think Ducky did know about her condition eventually, but I don't think we see that until season five. Does anybody remember sp- more specifically than that? I feel like they had a conversation and and he told her that he agreed with the diagnosis. I do feel like that he knew. Um, and I agree. I mean, but the thing is a lot of the stuff around what they do with Ducky and him actually practicing medicine on the living um, was well was poorly conceived. Very poorly conceived. In canon. They didn't bother to try to lampshade anything. That sounds right, Queenie, yeah. No. No. It's just more like fuck you, believe it or not. We don't care. We've already got your advertising dollar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our show is the number one show in America. <laughs> We don't care if you believe our shit or not. So you could now. So let's. So depending upon how you perceive Gibbs, if you perceive Gibbs still positively, which usually up until the end of season three, I can kind of deal with Gibbs. Um, but let's say you don't perceive him well. Y- you could have Tony put a bug in Gibbs' ear and say, "Some, I'm. I'm doing the best I can to protect people, and the only way I can do it is to, is to to go to leave. You know, I, I can't." I'm being targeted here, but I'm going to do my best to protect the other agents by pursuing this outside. But you need to keep your, keep your, you know, ear to the ground, Gibbs, pay attention because you can't afford to be naive about what these two are up to. And what if Gibbs doesn't listen and he just keeps turning a blind eye to what they're doing? And what if it gets McGee killed? Throw that out there. I think Tony would take that really personally. He would take it really personally. I agree. There'd probably be some inappropriate guilt, but it wouldn't actually be Tony's responsibility. Um, It could be the death knell on him and Gibbs ever being able to have any contact again. As he could be like, I told you that they were going to get somebody killed. I told you. You always have to know best, don't you? Now look what we've got here. It's it's really deeply ugly, but I think it's a really interesting ripple to explore um, regarding Ziva's incompetence in the field and Gibbs's um, willful blindness. It could even be something as simple as Tony keeps objecting about like Ziva driving NCIS vehicles. What if she gets McGee killed in a car accident? because honestly really i mean i know i made a minor point of it and de novo but there's no way in hell that she would have been ins- that she would have been insured to drive any ncis vehicle ever i wouldn't get in the car with her hell no regardless of her ability to be insured or not <laughs> yeah i think in law enforcement you can't really afford willful blindness um I think it eventually it it comes back to bite you, but Gibbs did choose and someone you know someone pays a price, but Gibbs did choose that path. He did choose the willful blindness path later in canon. i I didn't see that. I think you started seeing the the beginnings of that in his obsessional his obsession with Aerie. but I mean, in most cases, the difference between willful blindness and enabling is that enabling is often, it comes it, in that people make it easier for people to do the things that they're doing that they should not do. Where, you know, turning a blind eye to what people do. But there, but, but there is a point where they meet, where where you stop turning a blind eye and start actively allowing fucked up things to happen. And I think that we see Gibbs cross that line. Um, Aaliyah. Definitely by Aaliyah. But probably the whole Judgment Day arc, honestly. Because the Judgment Day arc, which is which led into Aaliyah, which led into Michael Rivkin's death, was the backdoor pilot for that was called, right? Judgment Day? Or no, it was called Legend, not Judgment Day, Legend. Um, it was called Legend. But Well, actually, back it up. Judgment Day might even be right because Jenny Shepard nearly got Gibbs' agent killed with her unsanctioned operation. Gibbs Mm -hmm. knew. He knew that she had killed Renee Benoit. Gibbs used his marker with the CIA to get the CIA to take the blame for it. Or he offered a favor to Trent Court or something. It was a favor. He offered kind of an unconditional favor to Trent Court if the CIA would take the rap for Benoit's death to get Jenny off the hook. So you could argue that judgment day is really when Gibbs started playing because why, if he, if he was not turning, that's not just turning a blind eye. That is, that is, that crosses the line into enabling when her unsanctioned op nearly got one of the people Gibbs is responsible for murdered. The fact that he tolerated it not just tolerated it but found ways to cover for her so she could stay as the head of the agency was pretty egregious yeah he was mad at tony yeah and the whole team and he tolerated the whole team basically hazing tony on the whole issue for several episodes um okay so somebody asks, is, where do you go from there do you just have tony leave and then he's happy a new agency and new rewarding job and the story's over no i would i would uh probably write the cleanup at the agency to some degree, but it's coming from Tony's perspective and he's not involved. So you know I'd probably approach it from his perspective, getting you know updates on the case. You'd probably be some danger at some point where Massad came after him or Jenny Shepard sent somebody after him, maybe even Ziva directly. Um, so you pr- I, that's probably where I would pull that through. Um and then have the, you know, the in the climax of the story, you would have uh Jenny, the case would get concluded, Jenny and Ziva both be gone. Ziva may be dead depending upon how you feel about it. Jenny's out of the agency. <laughs> and um and then the falling action, your falling action chapter would be Tony finally settling into his permanent team. Whatever that, whatever his new job is, they're all saying dead. So everybody wants him dead. I mean, I I sent her to Gitmo once. I, I thought that was entertaining. I enjoyed that. I don't think she did, but I did, and that's all that counts. That is that is all that counts. I mean, all that I care about. So. <laughs> but it's like, in a, a lot of ways, an art like this is kind of an id fic. Because it's just like, how much fucked up damage can I do to everybody that hurt Tony's feelings? Well, or we tried to ruin his life or well, his career. We already did that in Feeding Frenzy. <laughs> yes, we did. I mean, someone wrote me and asked me why um, he ended up at um, at Homeland. homeland. And i with Spencer Reed when um, specifically, I guess they wanted me to pick Ellie's relay. And I'm like, did you listen to the podcast? I didn't say it, but I, but I thought it um, because that was a popular choice. Um, the thing I is, is, I didn't know a damn thing about those characters. And so while I really enjoyed the writing and I enjoyed the story, it didn't resonate because I didn't know who they were. <laughs> you know? And maybe if I had known who they were, it would have resonated really hard for me. And it would have been the pairing. But in the end, it was about um, giving Tony a really soft landing. And if there's a softer landing to be had than Spencer Reed, I don't know what it would have been in that, in, in, in that particular series. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Tony needed a place he, beyond his personal life. Um, because his he needed somebody that was not going to lie to him. Because lying was going to be a big deal. And he, he knew he could trust R- Spencer to be honest with him. B- and, and you mentioned that in, in that last chapter. That like Spencer was almost pathologically honest. that it So it was a thing. It was an issue. But Tony also needed professional trust. He needed somebody that he could trust to have his back professionally. And Tom Morrow had had his back through the whole thing. Right. And... So that was somebody that, you know, I do think professionally because he knew Ezra um, that, you know, ATF could have been a, a choice because the issue being that Kira didn't know the fandom, but um, you know, you and I talked about it and we talked about that, you know, he probably would do the through three to four months there just because if he cares about Ezra, he was going to cover that bet. Right. Um, But I, it just, because you didn't know the fandom, it just wasn't something that was viable. She didn't want to watch two seasons of a western that really isn't applicable for an a- the AU anyway. To get familiar with the characters so that she could write 5,000 words. Actually, I think you wrote more like seven, but whatever. <laughs> I think it was like seven, yeah. yeah. But I the- mean, I allotted myself ten, but seven felt really comfortable. I mean, I, I felt like I had all the points. You got, you, got you got to see where Tony landed, and you got to see his team, and Got a but, little I mean, on because he I, he needed to get laid. I he mean, he's been getting laid. <laughs> I mean, but you guys need to see him getting laid. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would never have thought of Tony, Chris, Larry, Ellie. Uh, you totally seduced me with that. I I was shipping the hell out of it. But and that was I think that'd that would be. A, I think they'd make an interesting um Sentinel Guide pair. Yeah, it would. Um, But that would be. um but that was the issue, right? Is we you'd been cruising along and up to that moment, up to the point that Nini was towards the end mm-hmm. with her with her relay, with the with the criminal minds relay. And um up to that point, it was uh it was Elliot Spencer in the lead, right? From for a romantic yeah, it was. partner. Yeah,
1: because it she, was sexy.
0: It was sexy. And 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 the, the chemistry that was written with it for them was really good. And and then Nimi turned in a relay. I read it first, and I poked Kira. I said, "You should go read this." <laughs> and she, like, her first response was, "I've been seduced." <laughs> I said, "I think I know what the pairing is going to be." <laughs> I'm like, "God damn it!" I didn't know what the professional choice. I had hot, sexy was. plans. <laughs> she did. I mean, I didn't know what the professional choice was going to be, but I was pretty sure after I read that that the that the pairing choice was going to be. Fencer, one thing I thought that going into his career choice is that he had an opportunity, he had, he had opportunities across the board to join other people's teams. Um, but I felt like if he was ever going to be comfortable professionally again, that it needed to be on his terms and that he needed to be, um, connecting professionally with people of his choice across the board um so that every member of his team was a personal recruit that he looked at them that he that he really just deeply invested in creating a team that he could trust with his back yeah and that he could go to the board with with Tom Morrow and say these are my people they've got my back and I've got yours so he needed a little control Take back control, and we have a whole other plot drift planned at some point about Tony picks a new career, which Mm -hmm. is a little bit different than than. But but what we did with the relay actually kind of could was more in line with that because Tony being law enforcement, you know, being an investigator for the FBI or being an investigator for Homeland is kind of a lateral move. But you know, it'd be interesting to explore what other careers you get up to. And moving into intelligence to me actually is a different career move, which is. Um, which is it? Which is that move? Which is what I how I wrote him in uh, Century. and it's I'm 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 sort of gotten incepted about Tony and intelligence. So, you know, that to me is a different move than just than being uh being an an investigator. So, um, but there'd be the exploration. The, the only- Go ahead. The only way I would put Tony in the BAU is if he came into the BAU as Spencer Reed Sentinel. Personally. <laughs> well, I had him come in as a guy as as Derek Morgan's guide. So, you know, that yeah. We 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 definitely drift on that. Um now I I had him at the BAU in one of my Sentinel stories, but he was on team one. So I had him working um, terrorism as opposed to crimes against adults. So I could see that for him a little bit more than straight into the BAU based upon the whole. Yeah, I mean, the the only reason I see him doing it is that he's adapting to the life his guide is leading or his sentinel. Otherwise, I don't see him see him really seeking out a career where he's hunting serial killers, especially after his experience with serial killers, Right. Um, having almost been the victim of two different ones. Which is why I put him on. Three, if you count Rivkin. right. Which is why I put him on Team One instead of Team Four, because I felt like him doing, t- you know, counterterrorism. Um. Um, and I think Team One is also bombings. Terrorism and bombings is a little bit of a different mindset than chasing serial killers, and it's more in line with I think Tony's skill set. I would never put him in crimes against children, ever. So, but th- but aside from just a different trajectory for him in law enforcement, like going into intelligence or counterterrorism, um, you know, there's it'd be I think it, I've I've been pondering that like what other careers could he have. Like, he decides to go and have a different career. Completely different career. Like, what would that look like? What would it be? Small town sheriff? Um, Author? I've explored some of these. I'm working on a weird one right now. I don't know if I want to say what. Um, Didn't I read one where he worked for Katie in Crimes Against Children? I don't know. Tony, um... And there's a scene where he's playing basketball with the teams, and Derek and Katie are talking. And not Derek, it's Aaron and Katie. And Aaron is asking how it worked out, um, how it's working out. And she says that, you know, Tony um, is doing really well. Who wrote that? I don't think I know this one. I have a hard time seeing him in that unit, honestly. I don't I just, think I, well, I actually think the reason, one of the reasons I would never write Crimes Against Children is because I wouldn't want to write that. I had a hard enough time putting Tony in the, F- in, you know, SVU. That... No, they didn't actually do any casework. It was more about him leaving NCIS and finding a place to land and um, coming to the FBI and where he would end up in the FBI. Uh, I remember there was a moment where Aaron and Katie were kind of gloating that 4 didn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't. I think it was an art. It was a rough trade story. Anyways, when you said it, that just popped into my brain, and I've been kind of percolating on it, and I can't remember who wrote it. If anybody thinks of it, let us know. We'll put it in the link library. Um, Queenie, I think you could be onto something. If it's the one where he goes to Garcia for help with the financial case, I want to say that that is. I don't think there's a pairing though. I think Angelic and Sandy is going to set us up with a link. Anyway, when you said it, it kind of popped like full blown into my brain. And I thought I've read that. Him doing that, but it, they didn't really talk about the casework too much, or they didn't really explore him actually doing the job. It was more about him integrating with the team. And also oh, like a team the, he at, could so trust like at the end. He had transferred to the BAU and left NCIS. Cause if it's the one we're talking about in the chat room, in that one, he was at NCIS and he wasn't getting the backup he needed from his team while Gibbs was on Mexico. Yeah. And he went to Garcia to get help on the Rennie Grant case, if I'm remembering correctly. And he also Garcia got in trouble for it. And so did Tony. A little bit. Yeah, they both yeah, got in trouble. Jellix hitting the link on that one. Um anyways, it just when you said it, it popped it, it popped full blown into my brain. I was like, I've read that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could have Tony go leave, and he doesn't have to leave and go to another law enforcement career. But I think you have to find something that's in keeping with his personality. I I do think the film professor actually is in keeping with his personality. Um, and I think he could actually legitimately do that job. Um, um So, but you could do something like, I, I've written him as a true crime author. um. I've written him as going off and becoming a, well, he's deputy and a true crime author on that one. I'm working on something now. I plotted something where he leaves and um, he starts doing a radio show about crime. And I just had gotten this idea for a scene where people call in and ask him for advice about stuff. And he tells this one guy who's a repeat offender. He's like, my advice to you is to stop breaking the law. Um, so he's like, <laughs> he's like, he does like a talk show about crime. Um, but so you could pick—is it like a podcast or like a radio show? Like he's on like the like radio. Like, like, he, like he's on the radio. Radio. Oh, that'd be cool. And then it gets, or then eventually, it gets nationally syndicated. And um, he's trying to protect his identity. Um, but like, there's this one guy that uh, keeps getting locked up, and like he calls tony a lot asked asking him about like you know matters related to crime and stuff and the guy's like well looks like i'm gonna be going away again and tony's like well you know unlike most of my callers i will we'll take your collect calls from prison because we want to know how you're doing (laughs) (laughs) keep us informed and so he does commentary about like you know active criminal investigations that are big and he comments on like you know he'll He'll just – whatever whatever is current related to criminal activity, like violent crime, he talks about on his radio show. And I applaud it that he gets nationally syndicated during the course of this. And that ultimately becomes a problem that he starts to become like um, – serial killers start becoming a little bit fascinated with him. Um, as one would, yeah. As absolutely. one would because of his radio show. So – Cause I was just trying to think of different careers he could go into. And I thought, well, why couldn't he be like a radio, like a, like a radio show host that he does like a, like a three hour, you know, drive time chatter about. But it would also be kind of fun if he did like an underground podcast, like just like kind of like dip into his, Michael's previous career as eyes on as what was his thing in dark angel. And he, and, and he ran that, um, that underground, uh, eyes only, that bitching thing that he, that he did online, and if he did like this podcast where he like took apart people's um, like like public trials and cases, kind of like the making of a serial killer, I think it'd be really interesting. he make a lot of enemies though. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and I, I'd wanted to, he, he he's working under a pseudonym and like he, the, the station helps protect his identity because um, who he is, they've never put his face out there because, you know, he's realized he could be potentially pissing some criminals off. And so he's trying to keep it, you know, quiet. And um, I was just thinking his bosses would be so upset because he's so pretty. He's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> if you let us put your face on this, we can make so much money. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> and that could actually be the Ellen, his face does get out. And that that is when he, it's national syndication is, um, the network goes, Oh, well, um, he sounds sexy. he looks sexy. We're going to actually, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to film it too. We're going to air it live on YouTube, um, as well as broadcasting it on the radio because that is just too pretty for word. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's very meta. <laughs> So, but it'll be, I think it'd be fun to explore ideas about different kinds of careers and how they could be. The issue becomes what makes sense for him from a personality perspective to do as a career that's not law enforcement. And, um, there's things you could do if he's not like completely traumatized by whatever makes him leave. But if there is, I think he could go different paths if he's like completely burned out and you know, like if he gets nearly killed in like the events of Dead Air, he he might wind up on a different trajectory than if he's just, you know, pissed off and fed up. And I think if it's the Dead Air thing and he almost gets killed, he's that dude making bitter podcasts. <laughs> he could be <laughs> posting them online. <laughs> well, I mean, the what well, the story I plotted where he nearly gets killed as a result of Dead Air, he winds up running a bakery in New Orleans making beignets because he's uh, like, I'm not mad at that one. <laughs> I'm just and pride comes in every day and goes, I feel like I feel like you seem familiar to me. And Tony's like, I can't begin to imagine why. Um But yeah, hey, anyway, th- because he's just like, I just can't he couldn't decide he couldn't do law enforcement again. And uh in that one I had him I usually have him be a short order cook in college, but in that one I had him working in a bakery so that falling back on baking was a easy thing for him to do. And he wound up in the big easy. So um but it's a matter of like, I would not normally like have him, if he's pissed off and fed up, I don't see him leaving and becoming a baker, but I could see him retreating to something that is more solitary. If it's more of a traumatic event that pushes him out. Writing. Right. Now I did in, in the EAD thing I did this year, I did have him write a spite novel. Is what Which he is called the best it. thing ever. <laughs> a fight novel and he didn't expect it to be such a success, but he figured that you know, even he it, could write a better novel than what than what McGee wrote. The only way that could have actually been better is if he had dedicated it to Tom Jim City, whatever <laughs> his name is. Well, I can still change that. Um, it is a rough draft, it is a rough draft, but yeah, so he, yeah he, tell- me? yeah, he tells <laughs> Noah in that that he, um. It, it's in. It's. I don't think it's. I don't think this part's in this. In what's up? But Noah asked him. You know. Oh no, this part. This is. But Noah eventually asked him. You said you. You didn't like writing. Well, why did you write? Says, well, I did it out of spite. But I don't actually enjoy the writing part. So I just do all the work, and they get a ghostwriter to come in and write the books now, because I don't actually like it that much. <laughs> but in beautiful decline, he was a similar career, but he did it because he liked it. So you know. I mean, you could do it like. Later on, he get like his um his um his book gets you know optioned for a movie. (laughs) He takes a picture of it, the contract sends it to McGee. Did you ever get one of these? (laughs) What were your terms? Is this a good (laughs) deal? Studio, the studio gets really irritated I go isn't it like one of the rules about doing what if they want to do it on tony's life becoming this true crime novelist and he signs the, the the release for it because you know maybe it comes up, it'll come up that he spite wrote his first book um but then the producers are like isn't it like one of the rules that we have to cast somebody hotter than the real person where are we going to find that <laughs> Because the only we- did hotter than me it's too old to play the part. <laughs> <laughs> like that's kind of we got a problem here. How are we going to cast somebody hotter than that? I mean, that's the rule. It is the rule. I mean, it has to be the rule. And the thing about what we talked about tonight, everything we talked about tonight in terms of Tony leaving, is it's really adaptable to various points in. Jenny Shepard's tenure right I mean yes the point about Ziva trying to kill him in that shipping container is very specific to Boxed In Um, but it could be something else right I mean the elements of Boxed In are really um, volatile Um, her lying her, um, her failure to follow orders her incompetence in the field um her behavior with the team. I don't like to see Tony being all whiny baby and crying. Because he didn't get invited to dinner. Because that's bullshit. But the underlying behavior is a problem. She's clearly trying to isolate him from the rest of the team. And the rest of the team is not only following falling for it. They think it's amusing. Which is toxic. Absolutely. Um, which is a bigger deal than him just not getting invited to dinner. Um, but when, when a writer reduces it to him being, his feelings being hurt because he didn't get invited to dinner, it really takes away from the toxicity of the situation and her behavior. Because it is really ugly behavior, what she's doing. Um, her motive, it's her motives. It's not the leaving somebody out kind of thing, right? Um... So there's a lot of stuff around, you know, boxed in that plays really well into an arc where Tony leaves. But the basic, a lot of the mechanics of the stuff we talked about, Tony, you know, going over to you know, him being unhappy with the situation with Ziva. You could actually do that earlier in season three. You just would have to have a slightly different impetus. I mean, the perfect impetus actually is her being put on the team. The At moment all. her ass sat down in Kate's seat. Nope, no, no, because this bitch's brother murdered Kate, and now she's sitting in the seat when they knew when they knew that she was Arie's handler, so the likelihood that she didn't pick his target is slimmed none. But even if she didn't pick the target, she profiled the team for Ari and for Hamas. Just they took about advantage that. of the situation. When suddenly, Gibbs's current daughter replacement was killed. Actually, I never saw Kate in the role of Gibbs' daughter replacement. I think that that's because of the chemistry between the two actors was lacking. I think that was the intention. Oh, okay. Gibbs was always quick to protect Kate. He um even when she got fired from her job because rightfully so because she like broke a serious freaking rule by banging the football carrier. Um... He's protecting her. He's trying to shield her. Oh, here, have a job here with me. It'll be fine. But he was always, I think he was harder on Kate than he ever was on Ziva. So I saw him treating Ziva more daughter-like. And honestly, Kate, the way he treats more, most every other woman, women he potentially sees, I'm not trying to be gross here, but as a romantic partner, you know? Because um, he's, he's hes fundamentally, he's fundamentally a sex. He's very chauvinist. chauvinist he's very bit. sexist. I would agree. And that Kate fell into that role of you know, she's okay she's a competent federal agent but she's still a little girly kind of that's kind of the way i think that he treats her um so but ziva needed to remove that she she yeah, Ziva needed to remove anybody who would be a threat to her on the team and the person who's gonna be the least tolerant of ziva you know acting you know the wide-eyed girl in need of a daddy um, is Kate. Kate wasn't, wasn't going to put up with that kind of crap. Can you imagine how Kate and Ziva would have rubbed each other the wrong way? I think that she probably would have killed Kate in the bullpen. I could, <laughs> you'll see her like losing her fucking mind and just breaking her neck. I mean, because Kate was so sanctimonious. Um, but I do think that um, going into the show, um, that Kate's the actress's lack of chemistry with both. Mark Carmen and Michael Weatherly played into um, the writing. But I think going into it, the, they, they did the whole Kate thing. They're bringing the Kate in and letting Gibbs rescue her for the same reason they let Gibbs rescue Ziva. They were setting up that daughter-father of thing, but it didn't work out because she didn't have any kind of chemistry with either one of them in any way. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing there. There was no chemistry there whatsoever. So they tried again and they got Ziva who actually the actress has a great deal of chemistry with both Mark Harmon and Michael Weatherly in a very different fashion. Mm-hmm. I wondered if it was a lit Gal story. So the story we were talking about is illusions lost by lit Gal And that could be um, why I read it. I don't read a lot in um, NCIS. Um, so when I do read it, it's because somebody I know personally or not personally, but I know their work, so I feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's some authors I will click on the story, regardless, sometimes regardless of what the summary is. It's like... They, I, and, so there, there have been occasions where an author I like has written a summary that it sounds so atrocious. I was like, I wouldn't read that on a bet. And then I notice the author and I go, okay, I, I guess... I guess I, I guess uh, I'm having a. I guess I was wrong. Like, really, honey. <laughs> and then you read it, and you're like, "Okay, I'm not going to click on it." But can I send you a better summary? <laughs> your, your summary is way wrong, honey. Way wrong. I'm not saying her summary is wrong. That's not I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that she's one of those authors. Even with a shitty summary, I would
1: click on I'd it. Click on her. So, I click yeah. on it.
0: I mean, if Lady Raw wrote something, she could put no summary, and I'd be like, "Okay, okay, Lady Raw, click." <laughs> She could, she could say it's a fic, and I'd be like, really? <laughs> Score. I don't. I wouldn't even need to know. Probably fandom or pairing. I'd just be like, whatever. Get in there and start reading. Um, and there aren't many authors I would do that with. So, but you could. Uh, where did my list go? We have a list. <laughs> I have a list of the first of that first Ziva's, you know, entree into. NCIS. So someone, um, ever, I have a feedback form that p- people use because they don't want, they either don't want to leave a comment on my site because it's too public or they have anxiety and just, you know, just, you know that kind of thing. So I have a comment form for that. I want you guys to see this um, comment form. I'll put it in the chat room. Anyways. <laughs> I finished all the world this morning. Um, Like, I guess about an hour before I posted it, I did a um a grammar check and um a spell check, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm done." And I I put it up and I posted it. And then I went to bed. I n- I noticed. I noticed. <laughs> I was like, "I'm done." <laughs> went to bed. <laughs> How did I notice? Oh, I got up and. I had a notification on my phone that said that you had posted relatively recently to when I got up. Um, all the world, right? So I was like, oh, went and go, Red. And then I go over, there's like 20 some odd comments. I was like, unapproved. And I went, hmm, Kira went to bed. <laughs> that <was> My <laughs> first thought was, Kira went to bed. So I get up to all these lovely approved comments. Thank you. And four different Facebook threads. Oh, the Facebook threads. We need to talk about that one thing after the podcast is over because I need to, I need to vent a little bit because that's fucked up. Okay. The fetish thing. Mm. Does, um, you were, you were looking for, um, or I was looking, sorry, I think I just choked on air. Um. Other there are other opportunities that are good for Tony to 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 leave. His issues with Ziva, um, the issues in general with Ziva, could come to light during frame up, which occurs three episodes before boxed in. It's episode nine, and the reason why that's an interesting place to set it is because the FBI is all up in NCIS's business because Tony has been framed for murder, and so. You could do something interesting there with Tony leaving. I mean, this pod this podcast is specifically about Tony leaving after Boxed in. But season three is just a really good time um to to leverage this whole issue with Ziva. That movie freaks me out, I'm just saying. That's how I felt when I got up though. <laughs> I'm sure. Anyways, I frame up is a really interesting one because um it, it, it would come in a moment where Tony is really disillusioned um um with the people around him. Um, and um like how the fuck did that guy is this is this is the this is the woman with Chip, right? Yes. How the hell did Chip get a job in Abby's lab? How did he get into the at lab of a federal agency? I mean, it doesn't make any sense that he made it to the hiring process. That kind of incompetence would make me leery of, of, of staying at a job. Oh. But you could have a different investigator on the team, right? Who just head tilts a little bit over everything about NCIS, who asks some questions that Fornell didn't ask is like, what is, why do, how do they have a Mossad officer working on their major case team? How is this? And the thing is that could actually um, realistically, ziva's involvement in the original investigation would have actually meant they couldn't charge tony with anything so they had all this supposedly incontrovertible evidence but ziva would participated in collecting that evidence she has no duty oath no oath, of, no oath of office right she has no training she probably shouldn't be if she's allowed to collect evidence she sure the fuck shouldn't be signing it in so that actually could be something that somebody raises, like, hey, if we can prove it, we're not gonna be able to prosecute him because all this evidence is tainted. Every single bit of it. In As fact, any in fact, any evidence that she that she collected before she was a probationary agent shouldn't be legally admissible in court.
1: it would be like one so. of us
0: going onto a crime scene. Oh, I'll just help. <laughs> Yeah, only we might be better at it because we watch CSI. I'm joking. (laughs) We at least want to put down a little flag and take a picture. (laughs) Put down a little thingy, take a picture. (laughs) Put it down in the evidence log, (laughs) which I think is more than she knew. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's probably provisions around, you know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this is, but there's probably provisions for like s- people who are trained who are not actually employees of the federal government, maybe contractors or whatever, to be able to do evidence collection. But I don't think they can actually be part of the chain of custody. I would think you would need a full NCIS agent to sign all that stuff. So if if there was any mishandling and You could just get some eager beaver person who just points that out that I don't understand how they're able to prosecute crimes with this woman working on these cases. I'm not sure that a savvy defense attorney couldn't get Denozo off. I mean, they all think he's guilty, right? The evidence was pretty stacked against him. So they all think he's guilty. Um and they could start like looking into the whole Ziva situation. In the meantime, Tony's cleared. But they're still wondering about this whole situation with Ziva. And they're behind the scenes investigating. And it's just a different spin on some, the FBI getting in and looking at the situation at NCIS. It's another episode that really opens the door for that. Because the FBI is all up in NCIS in that episode anyway. And they really should have honestly like not left. Because there were so many problems <laughs> that sort of realistically have been discovered. Yes, yes. But I think that honestly, this is the one episode that ruins for me. I don't see. Um, I feel I've seen it happen where Tony goes to work for Fornell. I think this is the episode that, that puts a a nail in that coffin. But I don't up. know why Tony would ever trust Fornell again. You mean if up? he ever trusted him at all. Yeah. My issue with Fornell in that, I mean, Fornell pushed off arresting Tony as long as he could, mm-hmm. but my issue with Fornell in that episode was he did such a poor job of controlling his people.
1: Right. I mean, he that's let him, the
0: problem. He he let his people be downright abusive and it was like, okay. I would not want to work with somebody who doesn't have whose position, it's just, it's no. I mean, Lock like Gibbs wasn't bad enough. I could see him coming into um, the FBI as a peer of Fornell's, but not really working for him. Yeah, the whole throwing him out of an ambulance. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if he'd ever wanted to work with him, Fornell did literally throw him out of a moving vehicle in a body bag. Now, I did plot this scene when Ziva joins the team in the For You verse where Tony's involved with the uh, senator. Um when Ziva joins the team, when Kate's killed and Ziva joins the team, Tony's relationship with the Senator has been outed. So it's known um, at that point. And so it is also known and been reported to the Capitol police that that's right, Queenie um, it is known and reported to the Capitol police that, that Hamas had been poking around um, Gibbs team and and their families profiling them and that Ziva was the person who done that. So this is known that there was this security issue around the senator um, that Hamas was looking at him, even if even if indirectly. So the day that Ziva shows up in the office to join the team, Tony just gets up and goes, oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. And he has to immediately like leave the building and call the Capitol Police and report that there's this massive security breach that they have brought this handler for... Um, that for this, you know, the mole in, in Hamas, who profiled Gibbs' entire team, including the senator, for Hamas, and they've brought her into work at NCIS. So that doesn't go very far because Tony gets up and walks out of the building and reports that, and then they get um that it just it just winds up in a big shitstorm and Jenny loses her job almost right away. Um, the story that it's the <laughs> universe. Of- I'm really excited. <laughs> the universe is called the for you verse the first i the first episode is up on my site but the rest of it is under construction um and the f- the first episode is called um i'll forgive i mean why did i think that was a good idea it, well i mean i think jenny was just really arrogant and they thought they'd be able to get away with it but and they think tony's just like they probably think you know arrogantly that tony's just ethan's fuck buddy right um but Tony's like, "Oh, I, there's a serious security problem around around, around a, a sitting senator. So this is going to have to be dealt with. And I'm not going to sit here. I mean, because she, she can't. Tony has access and he has insight into the senator's schedule, into his location. And they're going to let a former, a, an operative for a foreign intelligence service sit in the same bullpen with him. One who gave information about him and the senator to Hamas. It doesn't seem likely that anyone's going to let that slide." doesn't seem reasonable either. I mean, it's like are you fucking serious? Are you not aware of who your agent is is dating publicly? I mean, it, it isn't like it's a secret, right? At this point? it's It's been known for, it, it's quietly known at that point. So
1: because, there's no reason
0: for Shepherd not to know. Well, Mara fact, would be stupid if she didn't. Right. Mara tells her, you know, you need to be Cautious because Tony c- comes clean with Morrow about um, who he's seeing before it even goes public, who he's he's basically living with, and then when Tony gets the plague, well, of course Ethan shows up at the hospital, and that's when their relationship kind of gets outed. Um, so Morrow tells Jenny when she's coming in, you know, he's got a high-profile relationship, you know, and that you need to watch mind your p's and q's around that. But I think Jenny was. I wrote that Jenny's just so arrogant that she just thinks that he's just going to accept it because Ziva saved Gibbs, and she thinks that's going to be all the leverage she needs to get. uh, Not when it comes to his man. No, no. no. Tony's like, oh hell no, and he doesn't even give. He doesn't even give um, Shepard the time to respond. He just gets up and walks out and calls and reports a security problem related to. He doesn't have a choice. No, he doesn't have a choice. So he just like, okay. <laughs> oh, honey. Delusions are cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, sweet pea. That's my biggest different career for Tony story arc, I think, is that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interview With the bitches Then there's a physical And then a psychological review With a psychologist of our choice That's right (laughs) I mean I guess if anybody can get through Being vetted by Senna Um they'd have some stamina. <laughs> <laughs> buck up, Queenie, buck up. <laughs> With your shielder on it, baby. <laughs> no, it would be a real psychologist because um Don't get me wrong cuz I love Hannibal but he was he wasn't a great psychiatrist. I wrote this thing where oh wait a minute, no. Remind me to tell you later about this thing okay. I wrote wrote. Okay. But yeah, he literally like he's literally the worst. <laughs> well, he basically spends all of his time telling people that their awful urges are normal, which is true. But most Psychologists and psychiatrists are supposed to talk to you about how to deal with intrusive thoughts that is not about entertaining them. <laughs> Here's the thing about Hannibal that I, I think a lot of people in fandom like either willfully ignore or like haven't realized it yet. Someone asked, Why are there so many serial killers in Baltimore? Because Hannibal makes them. Mm hmm. He turns his patients into serial killers. That's why he doesn't have them officially on his books. That's why he has so many friendly conversations. Either that, or he's serial killer catnip. They all want to impress him. Both. It's probably both. That's why there's so many. Yeah. But in but in in canon, he is directly responsible for the evolution of Buffalo Bill. Yeah. And I think that he probably had a hand in the creation of Red Dragon as well. Well, he certainly enabled him. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why there's so many serial killers in Baltimore. But in the TV they show... They either want to be him or he makes them. Yeah. In the, in the TV show, when, when somebody goes to a therapist about intrusive thoughts, the therapist is not supposed to, like, sit you down and talk to you about how normal it is and, you know, and, and get you to entertain them. So it's, be, it's, it's like be, what would a, happen if you did it right this it the, the way you handle intrusive truth of thoughts it's about pushing them away and not giving them space in your mind right but Hannibal's all up in the oh well <laughs> it's we all have these dark urges it's normal let's talk about it no that's not what you do you don't entertain those kinds of thoughts you nutter <laughs> What's that line that Will says in in the show? Everyone's thought about killing somebody. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a terrible example. This is this is, this is I know this is from real life. There was this lady that I knew. We were group therapy, but together. But she had been in inpatient, and the reason she was inpatient was because, because of her postpartum depression. The kinds of intrusive thoughts she had postpartum were about killing her baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. When she started having those thoughts, she went to her doctor, they put her in the hospital and her daughter or her baby went to go stay with her mother. But the therapist doesn't have her sit there and talk about how normal those that is to feel that way. And let's work through that. What would happen if you killed your baby? No, that's not the, that's not the way you handle that kind of thing. But that's what Hannibal does in the show is he basically <laughs> has his patients entertain. Um, he normalizes these dark, awful thoughts. So yeah, he's making little serial killers successfully. Mm-hmm. Well, because Hannibal Lecter knows perfectly well that all budding serial killers begin with a fan- begin with a fantasy, a well developed fantasy, um, and when that fantasy stops being enough, they will act. They will attempt to recreate that fantasy. That's the nature of the beast. But no, I wouldn't send Jilly's potential um, sex partners t- to Hannibal if he actually existed. Because I don't trust his professional opinion. <laughs> and those of you that survived being vetted by Hannibal, and I don't mean that in a literal way, but those <laughs> of you who passed, let's, let's change your term, those of you who passed the vetting, I'm going to be real suspicious. <laughs> we, we, I mean, you know, we'll just send the rude ones Hannibal's way. I'll just trust in the psychological beatdown the bitches can put on people. <laughs> Kira's got she's got she's got a degree, she can handle it. <laughs> she can spot a narcissist at a thousand paces. Which is the problem, right? That's usually the problem when you're dating. Yeah. Mm mm mm. I think the temptation is um, when you're moving Tony out of NCIS is that to throw him into a new career, um, but to also throw him into a new relationship as well, you know, just to give him all the things he doesn't have. It's like it's like it's like the equivalent of Harry Potter's shopping trip. Here's a really pretty person for you to have in your bed and here's a new job with people you can trust. (laughs) And the thing is, I mean, a relationship can be something that comes out of. Him eventually finding a new place to be. Um, Or it just might be just, you might get a hint of it at the end of the story. You don't have to go all the way full on through the relationship you can just you know show some chemistry with somebody in the falling action and let the audience kind of figure out that's where tony's going to be in a few months or whatever um the other option is is that tony is trying to figure out what he's going to do and he stumbles into a relationship with somebody and that that person then becomes part of his deciding factor about where he's going to go because let's say he goes on vacation um you know he's trying to figure out what his next steps are gonna be, and he goes to Denver and he meets Chris Larrabee, and then that then becomes a factor in where he chooses to live because maybe he's not gonna choose to live in DC if he's got this romantic prospect in Denver. But it's rare that things just neatly, you know, fall together. Hot sexy. Is it who plays Chris Larrabee? Michael Biehn. Yes, <laughs> I am on board the train. <laughs> I spent the whole summer. I don't edit out our crazy gnome. I just edit out um, our silences and Jilly's creepy ass scarab typing. Um, (laughs) The crazy stays in. The only time we take the crazy out is if we say something. um, That we don't want to get emails about. Yeah. Like one of us had a moment or, you know, we say a family member's name by accident or something. Speaking of gnomes, gnomes did gnome? Did you read um, um, all the world? Yes. You know I did. I was, I was talking to gnome in Who the is, chat. Who's was gnome. s r o Oh no! o yeah. s j Yeah. Finish it. <laughs> But <laughs> Why are you offended? I'm not offended. It's pretty large. I'm not. Um, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. But it's just there's a whole thing that's like <laughs> practically <laughs> tailored for you in the in the epilogue. I know. That's it, what I was thinking. I was right, going to ask your opinion about the epilogue. It's but, right um, on brand. Yeah. You prefer gnome? We can call you gnome. We can make your name say gnome. Actually, if you want it to. If you right click on your name. You can change your nickname. (laughs) Yeah. The last three chapters is about 20k. Total. Because. Honestly. Chapter 20 should have been chapter 20 and 21. But I'm like no. No. (laughs) It's chapter 20. 21's not bad. You could post seven sets of three. You just don't want 17, 19, 23. Those would all suck. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to do um, in sets of five. Except for the last yeah. one. It'll be like one through five, six through ten. I've, ten had, through mul- a- I've had multiple stories lately pop out with el- 11 chapters. Uh, just... But mm. I'll probably do 25... Uh, 15 through epilogue, because the epilogue isn't very long. Yeah. So. But um, yeah. Yep, it's fixed. Um, I really enjoyed um all the world. It was a very different experience. I, I like. I really, I really enjoyed the view from Ragnarok, and I like the, I like the different that different take on it with. Adulting, I like adulting. You know how I am. I have like a practically, I have a fetish about it. Adulting. The adulting is sexy. I'm all about the adulting. I like competence. Um, I honestly, um, one of my favorite characters in all the world is tear Warhide, Um, Because he's just so competent and like here to do business. And yeah, <laughs> like, my favorite moment is like, like, do you have a problem with me? And he goes, well, you're you. <laughs> Right? And you're you. It's like that he has literally nothing to complain about except for the fact that Tear wants to climb on top of his son. <laughs> Tear really Are wants you. to climb on top of his son. <laughs> if had- only he <laughs> had wings, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, I'm not sure what they actually produce makes up for the wings or not. <laughs> yeah. I told Carol, I'll steal tear away from her and use him in a story. You totally can. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. He's competent and um I, I just I I really enjoy competence. Um it's it's my jam. Um I adore my casting of Mahal. I have totally, oh, totally you've accepted canon to myself. There there is no other Mahal. I mean, that's yeah. just it. As soon as I saw it, I went, Yes. Now yep. um, <laughs> Kate Blanchett's been death for me since since the first time I ever thought there needed to be a casting for death. I was like, Kate needs to be death. Um, I saw somebody cast her as, Ma- as Lady Magic once. And I, I'm i like on board with that if I hadn't already cast her as death. And I was like, so I could never use her as magic because it's just, it's in my head. She's death. But, um, Yeah. My Lady Magic is, um, she never appeared on screen in any of my work, but I did cast her, um, (laughs) maybe, maybe in making me work. I cast Michelle Yeoh as, um, Magic. She's a great choice. I picked a Greek woman, um, don't know why. I was just looking through pictures and she was just the one that I came across. And I'm like, yep, that's her. <laughs> it was just like, you know, rearranged. That's my magic, lady magic right there. Yeah, she works. She works a lot. Um, I did pick out Hermione's wedding dress for um, Missile White Bond. <sighs> I wish it end the podcast. Yeah, we should, because <laughs> I'm we are totally meandered meandered off of it off the topics. Okay, um I want I hope you guys really enjoyed this podcast and it was entertaining to say the least. Um, and um, remember in the future whenever you think about the Asgard beam and you call it a Turduncan, that it's not our fault, that it's Emmy's. Say so good night, Chili. Right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>